Hello and welcome to episode 249 of the Ram Nintendo two. Podcast. Point two. Well, point two or 2.0? Actually, yeah, 2.0. Version 2, Redux. And the yeah, Redux. for the... could be 1.1. Ah, true. I mean, it's not like it's a... Well, but hopefully it's new and improved. I mean, no one has a point of reference, so hopefully <laughs> it's new and improved. But yeah, this is our... For the first time in podcast history, our file, our audio was corrupt and we had to... Here we are. So, so version two or one point one or whatever. I'm Jason. Well, at least at least to this scale, I know in the past um, on various occasions, I do remember Kevin saying like for the second time or again or something. Oh like yeah, that. but, but, but well, that's just the intro, not like yeah. They're usually like thirty, forty minutes at tops. Yeah. This so this is, is this is gonna be something. But yeah, I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. And it's funny that this is the episode we have to do twice because this is a big show we have. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's E3 caliber, but it's pretty close to E3 caliber, except unlike E3 where we knew what news was coming, like we really did not see much of this coming. I mean, to, to be fair, like Kevin, you – I think it was a given when Persona 5 Strikers was going to come out that you are going to have impressions of it, which you do in this episode. And I'm pretty sure, Angel, you teased or we teased an episode two ago that you are going to talk about SNK versus Capcom to match some lamb, which we also have impressions for. And I think maybe I knew a Pokemon presentation was on kind of expected. I think we all kind of had a feeling because Pokemon Day just happened. But the first true Nintendo Direct in like 530 days and, you know, the Pokemon showcase, the Pokemon presents showing off Diamond and Pearl that look like uh, how they look and uh, things like Pokemon Legends, like those we never saw coming. So in honor of the surprise of it all, plus, you know, kind of as not two Persona, we're calling this episode exactly that. Never saw it coming. Um Actually, I think Kevin that a uh, Kevin original title there. Um, Do you know the name of the song, Jason? Is that a uh, yes, it's uh, "Last Surprise." Damn! Hey, you got it. Yeah, sung by. Yeah, I did. Uh, Persona Five and the Phantom <laughs> Thieves, <laughs> featuring Joker. Am I right? Did I get it? Uh, Actually, it's sung by that lady I at for, the Game Awards. I forget, I forget the name of the uh, of the singer. Oh, it, it's Lynn. Yeah, she she. I think she after, only goes by Lynn. She and that was the Game Awards song they did, right? Yeah, that was the uh, Strikers remix that they played. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so this episode named after that. Uh, but it it has been like a lot of new. It's been kind of a fun few weeks as Nintendo fans, right? Like it feels like it's kind of nice to have so much news after fun you know, few such a trip weeks. Feet. It kind of felt Some, like it was all like it was all on the back end. <laughs> Well, the direct was like a week and a half ago now, almost. Really? Huh. Yeah, and and, and it's kind of nice though because usually, you know, we talk about it so quickly right after, but it's it's nice that we can sort of now separate like Not the hype the... and the expectation from the reveals themselves. You know what I mean? Like the dust is sort of settled. Hmm. I see. I mean, overall, the direct didn't really have a ton that I was excited over. Just like maybe one thing, but we'll get that mm-hmm. into later. But yeah, right. I would say it wasn't like it didn't feel like the kind of directs, maybe. Or maybe not even direct, technically. The Nintendo presentations from E3 where I left thinking like, whoa, there's so many cool things coming. It's just more like, well, yeah, a lot of a lot of things are coming. Yeah, it's like in quantity. There's a, there's like an E3 level. I mean, yeah, we had between but, the direct yeah. and the Pokemon Presents, they showed 32 new games, which is a lot of games. And that's not even including like BlizzCon having its own announcements or Tony Hawk coming to Switch randomly. Like there was like nearly like 35, 40 games were announced in just the last two weeks, which is announced or uh, highlighted in some way. Which you know is is a lot. Um, so, but Jason, we'll, we'll, what are we gonna do first? Well, we'll get to yeah, we'll get to all those announcements. Um, there's so much that we should probably start just with what we always start with, with what we're playing. So before um, you know, we even get Hold into up, the we news. never we never always started with what we're playing. Yeah, that's, that's true. The end. 
post yeah, post quarantine. You're right, but then in quarantine times we switched it. You're right. Um, good Don't history. Because you say that every time. <laughs> I know. Well, it's now what we always. It's the new. That's normal. true. It is the new normal. It's the new normal. <laughs> but yeah, if anyone uh, wants to skip what we're playing or cares about a specific announcement, we do have timestamps at ramtown.com. They're under the YouTube video. If you're a podcasting app, they should be in the notes. Uh, but yeah, so, 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 yeah, so, so, yeah. so leave in the comments. Wait. Should Jason be in the right for having said we o- we always start with it, or is he just a wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tweet uh, at us at Ram Nintendo and let us know how I got that wrong. Uh, what were you gonna say, Kevin? So, just... in, so in our original recording, I brought up the fact that Spotify had ruined the way that podcasts work, where you don't get uh, the latest episode of any given podcast at the top of like your list mm-hmm. of podcasts. Mm-hmm. So there is a way to pin it so that I, I believe you just swipe uh you swipe right on what podcast you want and it'll pin it to the top of the list. It's not a it's not the way that I would have fixed this issue. I would have just kept it the same, but at least that so, that option is So there. if people want the latest round in town to be visible on their feed, they gotta pin that podcast, much like the guy ring that notification bell on YouTube. So that could be a new yeah, phrase exactly. now. Pin that podcast. I, I think we need to start saying it at the end of every episode. And don't forget to pin that podcast. Well, I um, think this is just a Spotify issue. It shouldn't right, right. affect anything else. Yeah, but Spotify is a huge podcast platform now. So, But anyway, um, yeah, it is kind of crazy. They're really investing in it too. But anyway, that's beside the point. Let's talk about what we're playing. They killed um, Gimlet though. That's true. That's true. And they also have done some weird stuff with Anchor, which they bought. And like they – so Anchor lets you like insert ads into your podcast, but apparently they don't have advertisers. So Spotify just putting house ads, but they're like paying people for the house ads, which means they're just losing money on it. So kind of strange. But anyway, what we're playing. Um, Let's start with what what else, our namesake of the episode. Uh, Kevin, tell us everything you got about Persona 5 Strikers. Yeah, uh, Persona 5 Strikers. So I'm about 10 hours deep into the game, and mm-hmm. as the city self-proclaimed biggest Persona 5 fan, I can say that so far so good. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I should disclaim the fact that I'm not playing on Switch. I'm playing on PC, but I am playing with the Switch Pro Controller. Mm-hmm. Um, also worth knowing, yeah, uh, City's biggest is a big claim. I believe it. It's just a very big claim. Biggest I, 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 I'm pretty confident in that claim, at least for Southgate. Like, I'm pretty yeah. confident Gilbert's like... Actually, I don't even know if he could still, he would still say it now, but at one point I would say he definitely was the biggest Simpsons fan. Well, that I believe, because for, for those listening, we have a friend who basically one of the rooms in his house is a Simpsons museum. Everything's behind glass cases. <laughs> it's like hundreds of items. Literally, it's like, we call it the Gill, because his name's Gilbert, because like, it feels like a museum. Um, so yeah, that I believe, but I mean, Kevin, do you have a room of Persona stuff? I, I don't think you do. Like do you? our room of I don't have Persona. a, <laughs> I don't have a room, but, but looking right in front of me, I have my mouse mat. Which looks like uh, a Persona Five mouse map, but it's just custom designed. I've got an on statue. Mm-hmm. I have a poster of Mementos, the main dungeon in Persona Five. To my left, I've got two collector's editions for Persona Five and Persona Five Royal, plus a big poster. Oh, plus one of you guys got me. Like one of those bags that they give out in E3. That's a Persona oh, yeah. Five. Like oh right, right. Oh yeah, like a it. like a large swag bag. Plus, I'm looking at a dirty shirt that is a Persona Five shirt. So I'm gonna go ahead and say that yeah, I'm the biggest. <laughs> I, I think fan. you have proven your qualifications. Yes. at least in this household, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you lowered yeah. the bar significantly, but yeah, no, you, uh, yeah, you, you proven your qualifications. You could almost say you've really developed this persona. 
That was uh, episode hey. what two sixty one of <laughs> the Brandon Podcast. You're way ahead of yourself. I know we had to record this twice, but we didn't jump twelve episodes. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so talking about strikers, not to be confused with the the good one, Mario Strikers. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm gonna fight you on that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so Strikers is both a sequel to Persona Five when it comes to its story, and a spinoff when it comes to its gameplay. The original Persona 5 was released in 2017 on the PS3 and the PS4, and hopefully this game is successful enough to justify a Switch port soon, because while I believe that you can play this game without playing P5, I probably wouldn't suggest it. The reason being is just what I said, that it's a narrative sequel to Persona 5. It takes place only a few months after the events of the original. Uh, and I guess, like, slight spoilers for Persona 5. Uh, at the end of that game, Joker goes back to his hometown... And in this game, he's here coming back to Tokyo to spend, like, his summer vacation with the rest of the Phantom Thieves. And honestly, just that alone feels fantastic coming back to these characters that I spent, like, over 100 hours with. I definitely had that feeling of, man, I haven't spoken to these guys in forever that (laughs) I would have in the real world, like, if I was reconnecting with some old friends. Mm -hmm. But it's not even that. It's, like, the the presentation alone makes it feel like this is a true Persona 5 sequel because the text still has that stylish, bold look that P5 had. The menus are even more animated than they were before. The music feels nostalgic. There's old tracks which hit just as hard as they did before, and then there are some that are remixed to sound even more frantic, and even the new tracks just sound like lost cuts of the OG remix. Um, it's very much a continuation. Um... Where the conflict comes in, story-wise, is that pretty much as soon as Joker reconnects with the fans of Thieves, all hell breaks loose, and they are dropped into this game's versions of Persona 5's dungeons called Jails. So, in P5, the dungeons were called Palaces, and in that game, they took the form of buildings like a bank, a casino, or a castle, but like very heavily stylized. Uh, in this game, Jails are just the streets of Tokyo proper, so, like, in the first jail, you are fighting in Shibuya Crossing. That's, like, one of the main areas that you fight in the in the first jail, which is pretty cool. And they still add some theming around the edges of the combat areas, in the jails. Like, the first person that the Phantom Thieves target is this Japanese pop idol. So there are, like, cutesy balloons and banners strung across some of the uh, Tokyo streets. Um, one thing I do kind of take issue with the story and this is not through the fault of anybody involved with this game. I think it's just a byproduct of this being a sequel. Is the fact that Persona 5 was very much a character and story-driven game. While this game is just completely story-driven. And like, obviously you can't go back and devolve any of the cast's previous mysteries or personalities. But that just makes this story seem just a little bit superfluous. The same way, say, the Breaking Bad movie was. Uh, there's like a 2% part of me that almost wishes that the story, that this game, was sort of like a Sparknote summary of Persona 5, <laughs> but through the lens of this new combat. Does um, That seems to be like a Warriors m- Musu game issue in general because they're kind of like fan service you know? Does it feel like fan service or does it actually have like enough there, even if it's not with development, that kind of feels like... You know, there's there's something to be had besides just oh look at that reference, oh look at that other reference. You know what I mean? 
Like, is it, is it deeper than just references? Oh, it, it absolutely is deeper than just references, but it also, I guess at the end of the day, kind of does feel like fan fiction to a degree. Mm, interesting. Like, really, really well done fan fiction because they nail the characters just... So, th- this was co-developed by uh, P-Studio, which is the actual studio that develops uh, pers- the Persona games and Catherine. Um, so, at least on the narrative side, they got all that stuff right. Also, um, they they kind of did what Age of Calamity did with Hyrule Warriors, where like the actual Zelda team advised on the story, and then Koei Tecmo just sort of built the game. Yeah, sure. But again, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not fan service At uh I guess to a degree, it's fan servicey because no, I mean, no. <laughs> I'm gonna take it all back. It's it's not it's not fan servicey at all. What, based on what you say, it does sound closer to Age of Calamity, where there's actually a story to explain why certain characters were back, versus Hyrule Warriors One, where it was Didn't just Hyrule like Warriors have a story at least before. Well, Hyrule Warriors One was like, look at all these weird portals and various characters popping I mean, up from different Zeldas. There Hyrule was Warriors a two, reason. I mean, it had that evil well, lady sure. and that yeah, yeah, yeah. Evil but it was dude fan- and the big po. But I mean, it was fan service in the sense of like, let's just mash all the characters together, and then Age of Calamity actually yeah, I mean, like, let's tell a story of a subset of characters. Which it sounds like is what you're saying, uh, Strikers is, is let's tell a story of just these characters, not like bring in just every reference we can, which is good. It makes a more cohesive story. I don't but know. really quickly though, did you buy Hyrule Warriors 1? Any, yeah, did you have any yeah. version of it? I have it on any Wii U. The 20 versions? <laughs> I have the original on Wii U, not the 3DS one, not the Wii, not the Switch one, not the, you know, I don't know, Atari 2600 one, just, just the Wii U one. It's kind of crazy that that game has so many versions. For a Nintendo game, it's just. Yeah. Yeah, Fire Emblem. Anyway, Kevin, sorry, we, we sort of derailed you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, no, what were you gonna say, Angel? No, I said Fire Emblem just had the 3DS one, right? No, it also came to Switch. Oh, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, back back to the the more interesting ones. Well, the yeah. Interesting well, ones. I'm glad that you brought that uh, those games up because uh, that'll transition uh, transition us into the combat, mm-hmm. um, which is super fun. So while Persona Five was this turn based RPG, as many of you guys know. This is a real-time action game because it's co-developed by Omega Force, the guys that do make Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, and as you guys already said, mentioned Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem. Mm. That being said, this game feels much closer to a Persona game than to a Musou Warriors game. Um, for instance, in this game, you aren't give you aren't on a huge battlefield with like hundreds of enemies surrounding you at any given time. Instead, you'll be into like a small to medium-sized subsection of a much larger map the same way that you would be like in an older monster hunter game mm-hmm. or uh even uh one of the er- the earlier kingdom hearts games mm-hmm. and on it will be no more than like 10 enemies each patrolling the area by themselves so to trigger the combat you either sneak behind them and ambush them by hitting them or you hit them head on if they're coming towards you or they hit you because you're not paying attention and then once this battle instance starts, that's when you get the large quantity of enemies on screen that you have to dispose of. So it's almost like triggering an RPG battle, which makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Way. Yeah, uh, it, it's not a it's not random encounters, but it's the same way that you would trigger a battle in Persona Five. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's and then you would dispose of these mobs the same way that. Well, yeah, what is cool is that pretty much every facet of Persona Five's turn based combat. And even things outside the combat has been translated into this game's real-time combat perfectly. 
Um, so you have your basic physical attack by pressing on the Y button. You can shoot enemies with your gun by holding down the right shoulder button. And you also have your personas, which you'll use to execute stronger physical attacks and elemental attacks. You know, the common stuff like fire moves, electric moves, that sort of stuff. Just like you would in P5, you are still pretty much exploiting enemy weaknesses to those affinities. Right on. And you'll follow up with a one more attack. Oh, what happened, Angel? No, it's the right on. <laughs> right on. <laughs> it's 1995, guys. Right on. Tubular. Yeah. Um, uh, you'll knock down enemies, and then you'll get a prompt to execute an all-out attack in which your entire team will attack most of the enemies on screen. And if you guys have played or played smash against Brothers? Joker and Smash, yeah, you'll know the that called. the all-out attack is his final smash. Yeah, I was about to say the final Damn, smash. Damn, what a neat little reference to Smash Brothers. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I can't believe they, they made a whole game based on this one character. Yeah. Wild. Crazy. I mean, that's like the second yeah. time they did it. They made a whole franchise out of Shulk. Really good <laughs> like, for the Smash and then look at Xenoblade now. Yeah. Um, Smash, but literally the RPG savior. I mean, dang. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, <laughs> they even brought in the baton passes that were introduced in Persona 5. That was a new addition to that game. And they added perfectly here. It, like, you'll hand over player control to another party member, and they'll be buffed for a few seconds, which is great. Like, right off the bat, every Phantom Thief is playable right from the get-go, and it's really appreciated because I'm sure they could have written some contrived plot point, which would have had the members slowly be reintroduced. So, yeah, I'm glad that right from the beginning you have nine different characters to choose from. And they each play differently from each other, which is also great. Uh, Joker attacks with a knife, so his attacks have, like, this flurry and speed to them. Uh, Ryuji uses blunt objects, so his attacks are slower, but they pack more of a punch. Anne uses a whip, so she can attack enemies from a further distance. But on top of that, on top of those differences, they each have their own character-specific abilities mapped to the X button. So Joker will use his gun without wasting ammo. Uh, Ryuji's ability allows him to become invulnerable to flinching and knockdowns. So you'll be able to tank bigger hits from uh, harder hitting enemies. And will add fire to her whip. Uh, that way you don't have to waste SP, which is this game's equivalent to, you know, an RPG's uh, magic gauge or mana, whatever you want to call it. Uh, my favorite is Makoto's ability. Uh, Makoto being the best girl in Persona 5. Uh, don't at me, anybody. But her persona takes the shape of a motorcycle, and you get to ride it to knock down enemies. It's so cool. Um, that just sounds fun. Like just yeah, it's, fun. it's super fun. <laughs> yeah, like they they introduce like even some environmental interactions. At some point, I found a rack of skateboards, and I was able to hop on a skateboard and just run all my enemies over with it. Oh, it's so neat. cool. Yeah, um, the combat is excellent. But there are some aspects surrounding it that can be frustrating. One being that the UI can be a little too much during combat. It, it could be just a little too flashy. Um, seeing as how the combat in this game is real time this time around, it can be hard to just track everything that's going on in the battle, especially bigger mobs, where there's just too much flashiness going on that I won't even realize that two of my party members are dead. It's just a lot, it's just a lot of information overload that can make battle seem overwhelming. And to top off that overwhelmingness, this game is unnecessarily hard at some points. 
Uh, I'm playing on the hardest of three difficulty options, but I'm pretty sure that in these 10 hours that I've played, I've wiped more than my 120-something hours in Persona 5. Um, there was this one section early on in particular where you have to fend off waves of enemies as Joker alone. And in those tries, there, there's specifically this one try that I, that I won't forget where I moved forward towards a wave of enemies, got stun locked because I got hit with electricity, and the 30 enemies jumped me in three seconds flat, and I was dead. The low time to get back into that battle was longer than my try. <laughs> oh, that, that sucks. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it was so frustrating. Um, another bummer that I have is that there's basically no social aspect to the story or to the gameplay, actually. Uh, and in Persona 5, you know, hanging out with friends, going to school, improving your social status, that will lead to bonuses and abilities that you can then use during combat. And that's pretty much not here, obviously, for story reasons. Uh, they do try to make it up with this new system called Bonds, where you'll earn points for leveling up your bond with your party members through various means, and then you'll spend those points on bonuses like regenerating health and SP after a fight, or healing items to be more potent during a fight. It it just feels a little half-baked compared to the day-to-day social aspect of Persona 5. But like I said, again, that's partly the story's fault, so I can't be too mad about it. Um, my biggest issue with the game... And it actually isn't even an aspect of the game. It's that, Angel, I like to think that my mind is good enough to switch controller arrangements on the fly when I'm going from, like, Switch to PS5. Would you also agree with that aspect for yourself? Uh, Only going from Switch to PS4. I haven't really had a lot of experience with the PS5 controller, but for some reason, those I could switch on the fly... Just because they mm-hmm. feel so different, but if I touch an Xbox controller, it still takes me a long time to get used to just the A and B placement and where anything is for that matter. Even though it's closer to the form factor of a Pro Controller than a PS5. But yeah, right. I only really have a problem with going to that console for some reason. Right, so just like you, I, I have no issue going from Switch to PlayStation controller. Like if I'm holding a PlayStation controller, I know that the bottom most face button X or cross for some of you weirdos out there <laughs> is the button I will press to confirm an option and the rightmost button circle will be the back button. I know when I hit the rightmost button on a Switch Pro controller, in this case the A button, it will confirm an option and the bottommost button B will be the back up will be the back button because Nintendo just can't get with the times. Whoa, whoa, with whoa, this whoa, game, whoa, whoa. Not to go fanboy with, on you, but Nintendo <laughs> was first. The other guys we're the ones that decide to mix it up and change things and be guess, weird. Guess what? The the inventor of the GIF calls it GIF. And he is wrong and he is not an English professor. So what is your point? Thank you. So, <laughs> yeah. So put two and two together. Oh, Nintendo's wrong in I this game. Point. With this game, you apply – throw out logic out the window. Because here in this game, A is actually the go back button the same way it would be on the PlayStation. And B is the confirm button. Because they know that Nintendo is still stuck in the dark ages when it comes to button layout. But my brain is so wired to know the differences in these button layouts that I will be accidentally confirming crap that I don't want to because I wanted to go up in the menu. 
or I'll accidentally be backing out of a menu, or worse, just backing out of the dungeon completely, which then kills like 10 seconds for me to get back into the dungeon, because, oops, I backed out again instead of choosing to explore the jail because I hit A to accept. Except in this game, it isn't to accept, it's actually to go back out and... You, I want Sakurai to work on this. I don't know if he has any power to do so, but I, I want I Sakurai should be able to do something. You, you do realize Sakurai has the most like convoluted menus of any game developer that I can think of, right? Like, look at the Smash menu, the Kid Icarus Uprising menu. Like, I mean, they're they're usable, but they're very like layered and very actually style wise, they do fit Persona. They're very like I just, squared off, and and, like, and that's why, and that's why I want and that's why I want Sakurai to do it. But I just want him to. Go over to Nintendo and say, hey, A, B, switch that up. X, Y, switch that up too. It's very easy. What about all the Nintendo? I wonder if I can open up my Pro Controller and then like somehow switch those. What about all the Nintendo people like me who only own Nintendo systems and now have to learn something completely opposite? Because the You just got to get with the times, buddy. Uh, um, I don't like that. I don't like that But all. aside from that, the game's great. Definitely should be played by Persona fans and loyalists. I'm still a little hesitant to recommend it to anybody else because it's still a fine action RPG. One of the better Musou games that I've played. Technically, I, I haven't played Hyrule Warriors or Fire Emblem Heroes, but I have played a few Dynasty Warrior games and those don't hold a candle to this at all. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can definitely say that this game has definitely gotten the care and attention that a real-time Persona game should have gotten. Like, I'm glad that something I've been hoping for since Persona 3 on the PS2, that being a real-time Persona game, was so well thought out and executed. And, uh, yeah, that's Persona 5 Strikers. I, I, will, I will say, it's insane the amount of variety that, um, you know, the devs of the Warrior series are able to do i mean you have this which is you know leaning on persona in so many ways you have higher warriors which obviously takes zelda tropes and runs with it like it's for a game that we everyone kind of jokes like oh it's like such a generic you just like hit an attack button to make your way through enemies like there's a lot of variety in there like you know it's like a gundam one in japan like it's, it's impressive how they're able to sort of squeeze so much out of such a simple concept i'm glad that they're able to flex their their muscles a little bit yeah and not just be and I, no offense to Omega Force, but I don't see a lot from the newest Dynasty Warriors that isn't that isn't looking just like a carbon copy of the originals, aside from updated visuals, you know? Right. I mean, even when they showed Samurai Warriors 5 in the direct, it was like, oh, right, that's like the back to basics compared to Hyrule Warriors and Strikers and whatnot. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. Like, it's, you know... So then it, it's funny that usually when a game gets light, like when they license something, it's like, oh, this is going to be like a lesser, but it feels like the licenses actually enhance the core concept in most cases with uh, Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I guess since we're talking things where you fight things, that's a good transition. Um, Angel, SK versus Capcom, Match of the Millennium. You've been playing that. How is it? One of your best transitions, actually. Thanks. It's, you know, it's I, I worked really hard on it on the fly just now. Yeah, um, full disclosure, um, another disclosure, um, we did receive this game by Capcom, not by Capcom, ah, SNK, by, yeah, from <laughs> SNK, from SNK, but, you know, as usual, my opinions are my own, that will sway what I have to say about it, but, anyway, I guess to get into my impressions, 
Um, when Jason first told us that we got this, I thought it was a different SNK versus Capcom. I actually didn't know that there was a Neo Geo version, which is the one that I'm talking about. And I guess in a way that ended up being a little for the better, because I didn't realize that um, Pocket Rumble, a game by Chucklefish, that was supposed to be a launch game for the Switch, but ended up getting delayed over time, and it was supposed to be, for a while, the first fighting game on the Switch, because there wasn't really anything, like at least traditional fighter. I mean, you had ARMS at some point. I don't remember exactly when ARMS came out, but... It was yeah. a few months in. But yeah, po- Pocket Rumble was supposed to be day and date, and yeah. it ended up being like two years late or 18 months or something. Yeah, I if it was because of the netcode or something, but whatever the reason, it got delayed. I think even Brawlout beat it to it, which was, mm-hmm. I guess, the mm-hmm. more Smash Brothers clone, which you know. There was no Smash Brothers at the time, so of course... Yeah, it was like Indie Smash, that. right? Because they had like Ukulele and all these other Indie Smash. Guacamelee. Anything that ended in uh, Lee basically was in the game, except China. It had um, Hyper Light Drifter, I believe, and that's all I had remember. that frog lizard thing with a bandana. I think it was an original character. Frog lizard thing with a... I mean, Something with a bandana. Original... Well, almost all their characters are original characters. They only had like three or four guest characters. Right. That's right. Yeah. I guess it was the other way around. But yeah, point is, um, looking forward to Pocket Rumble. Very simplistic game. It kind of takes more cues from Smash Brothers than the still 2D plane graphics. I guess unbeknownst to me at the time, were meant to replicate the Neo Geo, like to a T. And even the, the chiptune music, like everything was made, was meant to, I guess, have the same limitations that the Neo Geo had. But we're... This game is, I guess, using the more traditional fighting mechanics where, you know, you do actually have to do forward down forward or quarter circle forward or those kind of maneuvers to perform specials and max specials or max supers. The other one was just hold forward, hold back, up, down, just like Smash Brothers. But this one, I don't know, it's it's really cool the a long time ago i played a neo geo in high school um that was like my only real exposure to a neo geo it was like a blue camo one and i just remember really playing metal yeah metal slug on it and this one went out of its i guess took the attempt to actually recreate the neo geo quote-unquote experience as close as possible neo geos are small they're really thick but they're really small and when you boot up the game for the first time the entire game is played within a Neo Geo. Kind of like um, one of the filters on the the virtual console when you play a Game Boy Color game or a normal Game Boy game. You do see like the, I guess, a background of the Game Boy itself on your 3DS and moving the 3D slider can make the screen look like it's more sunken in, like on the actual Game Boy. It's pretty much doing that, but because the Neo Geo is a horizontal system, you can actually fit the whole thing instead of just the top part. And like, buttons and all like it's the full neo oh, yeah. geo on your screen yeah so, so it's a full neo geo and i mean just looking at my switch i would i'm pretty confident in saying that it's like a one-to-one yeah it's one-to-one mm. so and on top of that you can if you want to i wouldn't recommend it it's more of like a oh that's neat than uh oh this is another way to play like the actual buttons on the on-screen neo geo actually work you can use them to navigate the menus to literally just play the game um it doesn't work that great. At least the the analogs do, but I don't think they were supposed to because I don't know why you would ever play a, you know, an input sensitive fighting game with on screen controls. 
But even then, just as that like wasn't a fan service thing. That oh, is no, yeah, yeah. That is no, so, yeah. like, unnecessarily so cool. It's definitely, uh, like, oh, that's really neat kind of thing. Like, yeah. it's a nice, yeah, it's a nice bonus. And on top of that, you can rotate through a bunch of different Neo Geo skins, including the aforementioned blue camo one, which is really cool. There's hmm. even, there even some clear ones that I also thought were really cool. Honestly, like, going through them made me kind of want a Neo Geo for myself. I don't know how much they go for now, but... Just owning one would be neat. Just kind of, I kind of miss just having a little old school device. I still have my 3DS. It's still sitting near me. I still keep it charged regularly because I still play Donkey Kong Country 2 on it. Even though I'm also playing through Donkey Kong Country 2 on the Switch. But that's besides the point. Um, still waiting for that play date. Playmate? Yeah, I was about to say, there's the play date. It got delayed. Yeah. It's, it's like coming. With a that, crank. I'm hoping that will kind of fill that void. But... Especially because, you know, we won't have to worry about cartridges because I would probably have to hunt down a few games. But, yeah, this game, yeah. Presentation, like, 10 out of 10. Because, oh, I didn't even mention the fact that for some reason I still haven't found the purpose for this. You can reset the Neo Geo itself, and I don't mean, like, the software. That you can go into, I guess, the OS of the Neo Geo and reset it, and then you set, like, a day. I think you can set your birthday. And the time, and I don't know. I don't know why that's in there. Because once you exit that menu, I don't really see another way to go back outside of the, I guess, I guess we'll call it like the debug start menu. When you press like the, the select button, you enter. I guess the, a menu that overlays over the game that you could tell like you know isn't part of the natural game OS. Like that's where you could change the sleeves. I mean, yeah. The, that's where you can change the, the type of Neo Geo you're playing. That's where you can zoom in and out. Like, obviously, you're not forced to play from the one-to-one Neo Geo perspective. You can zoom in so that the screen of the game, which is basically a perfect square, fills in the top and the bottom completely. So, you know, so you just have the borders on the side, which you could either set them to nothing at all, and they'll just be black, or it would just be whatever part of the Neo Geo is exposed because, you know, white screen versus appear square but yeah presentation wise i surprised i even had all that to talk about because besides that you also get a scan of the original instructional booklet from the game which i enjoyed reading hmm. like it has like all the snk games that i've seen just like from covers and art and especially the street fighter games because i kept up more mostly with those um yeah, the instructional booklet has a lot of nice art and because you have you know, Capcom versus SNK, you get, you know, characters from Darkstalkers, from Street Fighter, from King of Fighters, from Samurai Showdown, from Fatal Fury, and I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting. But for the most part, it's a nice mix of, I guess, their humanoid, <laughs> I guess, traditional fighters. You don't get, you're not going to see Beautiful Joe here because, you know, he didn't exist yet. Um, you're not going to see a Resident Evil character. Um Probably all I could think of off the top of my head. No Phoenix Wright, uh... Oh, no, I'm just trying to think of characters that were in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Oh, no, Mega Man, you know. Yeah, mm. he becomes like a more... Actually, Zero is part of the more standardized fighter fighter in their versus games at this point. But, yeah, presentation's great. As far as the game itself goes, for a Neo Geo game, and I'm saying that without having owned a Neo Geo, so take that lightly... I'm saying it in the sense that I'm assuming kind of like a Game Boy game or like a portable version of a, I guess what you would expect to be a console or arcade game. 
it's it's pretty um fully featured. Like usually, I would expect the handheld versions, quote unquote, um, you know, to be a lot more bare bones, just to kind of have the basic, I don't know, arcade mode and maybe a versus mode, and that's it. But this thing has a lot. Like it has a Colosseum mode, which is basically oh no, sorry, an Olympics mode, which you essentially pick a side. You pick either SNK or Capcom, and then you're guided through either Karen, who is the Capcom representative, and your SNK representative, which I obviously don't remember their name because I don't remember the game they're from. Karen, I just remember from Street Fighter Alpha. But point is, you know, you go through certain different, I guess, little events that they made up, or just different type of game modes. Stuff you're kind of familiar with. You get your survival mode, your score attack, and the like. But it's a fun little distraction. You also have the arcade mode, which, you know, kind of takes you through a little story, depending on who you pick. Um, you know, you go through fights, go through your end quotes. You have little dialogue box, giant art, <laughs> I guess, plot-driven device, which is fun for itself. Um, you notice that when you're fighting, the characters look a lot more chibi, but then when you finish the game... Oh, and they're also all, like, I guess... Not black and white, but all the characters have very minimal colors to them in the end game. But when you see the character art for the the win quote, they're much more detailed. Which, you know, it's just something to note. It's not really a takeaway. It's not really a bad thing or anything. But, yeah, you got the arcade mode, which you would expect from any arcade. <laughs> from any arcade, just go fight through a string of enemies. Fight the boss at the end, depending on which side you picked. Which faction. And then you have the versus mode and i wasn't sure how this game was going to handle it i am from what i can tell and this is just from like me exploring all the menus i didn't see like an online mode so what they did instead was i guess as soon as you click versus mode and then you pick what type of mode you want to play um it pretty much simulates you connecting to another neo geo and it'll literally show the other neo geo in the background until it connects and then They'll both be shown side by side. And because Neo Geo screens, you know, are just a four by three, I think, or just a perfect square, it does, they can put them side by side and you won't feel like you're losing any real estate, you know, on most modern widescreen TVs. And all of a sudden, you're, if you have a second controller, they'll be able to control the screen that's side by side to the other one, which is really cool. I don't know. I haven't really seen too many games do that. I feel like either. They just straight up don't have the multiplayer work whatsoever, which I think is the case in some virtual console mm-hmm. games for yeah on Nintendo because they're just like oh you just can't connect anymore like that's it, or you get these where they went out of their way to still make sure you could play versus mode, which is really cool. So on top of that, um, you have three different ways to play. You have standard versus one v one. You know, pick a character, each fight it out. Um, deplete the life bar you win you have tag which is pretty much like I don't know this game was from 1999 um, I forget the year but 1990 old just say that <laughs> yeah it's from the it's from the 90s so like the I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking if you want the versus game was still pretty new so the fact that this game it was in a time when I don't think there were too many tag system games already out, but the fact that this one bothered to put one in a handheld was pretty cool. Um, you don't get a... Si- oh, yeah, what's right. 
So you don't get assists, but when you pick your when each person picks your two characters at any point during a match, you can press away and A B because it's a two button game. Um you swap out with your partner character and the fight is over once both of them are defeated. And then you also get squad, well, team, which is basically where I am sure and just like super confident that Sakurai got squad strike from because it pretty much plays exactly the same. Well, in this case, you only select three people or three different characters. doesn't matter what faction. And as you fight it out, as soon as one character is defeated, the match kind of stops and just kind of resets itself. And then the next character, well, from the person that lost one, jumps in and it keeps going. But the health doesn't reset. It just kind of stays where you left off, which is pretty much how Squad Strike works in on the Switch. I mean, the game doesn't reset, but, you know, they keep their percentage. You just right? Oh, yeah, yeah, and Smash Bros. And Ultimate. Yeah. Right. Because, so, you know, Sakura has definitely made it very apparent that he loves his SNK. And... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the gushing he did over Terry and SNK's history in the Terry presentation, like, yeah. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, just the fact that this game, you know, has a 3v3 mode, a 2v2 mode, and a 1v1 mode was just surprising, to say the least. I just did not expect to have that much. And on top of that, um, you have three different playstyles. So before you, after you pick the mode, but before you pick your characters, um, each person decides whether they want average, counter, or rush. Average being, it's pretty much your standard way of playing. You deal damage, you build meter, you can build up to two meters, and then you can do a super or a max super if you have both meters full. Um, you also have the counter playstyle, which doesn't have um, a traditional um, I mean sorry it doesn't have two health bars that the previous one has it only has one health bar I mean one meter one meter my bad not health bar um, one meter that you could fill up instead of two and the way this one works is a little interesting for this one you could build up your meter manually so they actually do have an input for filling up your little meter and because you could fill up your meter manually they obviously only give you one to work with because if you had two and you're building it manually, you could probably just like play a keep away and, you know, kind of just like stall out the game and that wouldn't be that fun. So you just get one meter that you could build and just that one super to work with. But at the same time, your health bar, it, when it gets to, I guess, a certain low zone, like we'll say like a critical zone, um, you won't have to build up your meter to do your super move anymore. Which is really cool. And if you have your meter full, and if your health is in that critical zone, then you'll be able to do your super, your max super. Pretty much the equivalent of having the two meters full. Now, that was kind of like a... I'm going to use this again later. Um, like reverse nostalgia moment. Just because, you know, have, not having a lot of experience with SNK games, probably the closest thing I have to that is playing as Terry in Smash Bros. Ultimate. Like, Terry's mechanic mm-hmm. is when he reaches 100% damage, which, you know, in Smash terms means you're pretty close to dying, he gets his his max meter, or he gets access to his max attacks, his max supers, which is basically what this is doing. Like, when your health is down to a certain degree, you get access to your supers, which is really cool. It's like, oh, so that's where they got it from, which, yeah, it's kind of funny. And finally, you get your rush style. Which is definitely the most different. Instead of having 
any kind of normal meter that you fill up, you have a you have one meter that is sectioned off into three sections, and each section gives you you can fill them up a lot faster because you have something called target combos, and they're essentially like input commands that are shared across every character. So besides their standard moves, you can maybe do something like tap A, tap B, then hold A, then hold B in quick succession. And that will give you like a four hit combo. Because in this game, because there are two buttons and it is an arcade fighter, that minimum at least have four, um, usually six. Um, to achieve two different you know levels of hits, you either tap A for like a light punch, then hold A for a heavy punch, and then tap B for a light kick, and then hold B for a heavy kick. Which again, is probably where Sakurai got the idea to do that to Ryu and Ken and, you know, obviously Terry, which is kind of cool. Just kind of seeing like where that came from. Because Street Fighter, I don't think ever did that. Or And if they did, um, I'm pretty sure it was more common with um, these SNK pocket games. Because, you know, Street Fighter always really had the arcade game. Um, I, I would not have guessed that this game would be such a history lesson of, you know, things that are now... Uh, ideas or, or uh, mechanics are now alive and well in like the biggest fighting game. Like yeah, it's kind of cool. It's like a little. Foot- it's, it's, it's almost like, like the footnote of like the source, like the bibliography of Smash Bros. It, yeah, it's like kind of like when you think you know like all the surface level references, like even just like the mechanics of how things work. It's like oh, they go way deeper than that. Yeah, but yeah. So overall, those are like the main modes, and I didn't even touch on the fact that it bothers to have like. I guess a customization section. Um, essentially, whether you're playing your for your single one v one, your two v two, your three v threes, which each have their own separate area where you could customize them. Um, you can, you know, say you are gonna play as Chun Li. You pick Chun Li in the one v one section of the customization menu, and then you could pick what background music you'll hear, like from any character. Doesn't matter if. Your Chun Li, you could still pick Ryu's theme or Guile's theme or whatever, or what have you. And you can also pick, you can also type in your own win quote, which I thought was really funny and kind of cool because I don't remember if there is, at least in the Street Fighter side, I don't think I've ever seen a Capcom fighter let you create your own win quote. And I don't know, to have that was just kind of neat because then, you know, you could obviously make characters say very out of character things. Which, you know, it's like the only reason why you would want to put something in there. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun. And, you know, you could do that with um, your 2v2. So you pick your two characters. You could set a win quote for when your team wins or when your three team or your team of three wins. Like, I don't know. For your 7.99, there's a lot of game in here. Like, and this is an old game too. And from a handheld. Like, I, I, I was just surprised. I, I did not see that coming. I was... Yeah. Hey, episode tile. I want to take a drink. No, I, don't, I actually don't have anything. Hold I on. Don't I have water. So. Have a drop of water. I have sake. Hold on. What? Oh, yeah. It's like 10 in the morning. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually 11, but. You're right. Yeah, we've been going for a bit already. But yeah, I mean, I know for a fact um, the SNK versus Capcom. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just uh, drink the sake? <laughs> it's like. Can't I... It's not worse because it tastes exactly the same as it would like during the night, but it's much worse. Sense. It's just knowing <laughs> it's your body knowing what time it is that makes it worse. Yeah, 
<laughs> Your body didn't see it coming for sure. But yeah. Drink again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um yeah, like when I heard about this game, um, you know, like I mentioned, I thought it was the arcade version, like the the one I would assume most people have played and I know like some people that I know have mentioned that they were big fans of the arcade version that that's the one they played a lot or whether it was on their Dreamcast or something. And if we want that game to come out, I'm pretty sure like this game would have to do well. Um, but at the very least, I feel like this one definitely deserves some attention because, I mean, there are a lot of... There's a ton of good fighting games on the Switch at this point. I mean, a lot of them were brought over by the hamster people. <laughs> that's something I'm talking about. Like, yeah, the, the Kia people. hamsters are actually a crack key. Um, the developer yeah. hamster, yeah, they ported over... Well, it feels like just about every SNK game ever created. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's already a lot of, like, Fatal Fury, King of Fighter games there between the the Capcom Street Fighter compilations. And I know, like, they used that first, like, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, the final challengers. I think that's what it was called. I'm pretty sure it was different. Um, like, the test of the watch with that, that sold well. And then we got the Street Fighter, like, collection, which is an amazing collection. It's the fact that you get pretty much... Street Fighter 2 through 3 and, like, every version in between with online functionality on some of them, at least the ones that matter. Um, it's pretty nuts. And I know, like, I don't know, people have been climbing for a new SNK versus Capcom game. Um, the closest thing we have right now is, you know, playing Ryu versus Terry in Smash Bros. Ultimate. But, yeah, that'd be pretty cool to see. And, Which, based on you what know, you're saying, is actually closer to a real SNK versus Capcom game than anyone ever probably thought. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this game, I don't know, a lot of surprises. And, you know, as someone that doesn't really know a lot about the SNK side and only started learning more because of Smash Brothers, I mean, one of the stages had a track playing that as soon as I started hearing, like, the chiptune vocals, because you could tell they're supposed to be the vocals, I was like, oh, it's that song that plays in the Terry stage in Ultimate that got remixed. <laughs> like, I just, like, yeah. You're, you're backwards. That way. You're backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was no different than my Marvel vs. Capcom 3 experience, like, being introduced to the Guardians of the Galaxy that way, and then seeing the movies, it's like, oh, there's Brock the Raccoon from Marvel vs. Capcom, and... Or you oh, with guess, any Guitar Hero, them. whenever you hear a song and then you hear it in real life after, like, oh, it's that one song from Guitar Hero 2, which you've yeah, done Guitar Hero introduced times. me to a lot of songs, like, the Creep song from Weezer? Radiohead. It's weird. You always say Weezer, and I always <laughs> correct you, and this has been going for years, <laughs> but it's Radiohead. Radiohead did Creep? Yes, they did Creep. The people know for singing Walkie Talkie Man that is really, really That's fast, sings not, that super slow that song. Is, that is not, not Radiohead. Radiohead. What was that? <laughs> did you legitimately think that that was Radiohead? Uh, I guess so. I don't I'm really done know. with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Radiohead is. I just know the name. They sing Creep. You do know who they are. You just don't know you. Well, know. I guess now I do. But I don't keep track or try to remember these things. I just remember... Walkie see, Talkie um, Man is like Stereogram or one of those bands. Not really. There we go. Stereogram. Which sounds nothing like... I mean, okay, both of them involve a device that plays <laughs> music. I'll give you that. But that's as far as it goes. Well, yeah, regardless, I mean... Yeah, Walkie Talkie Man is from a D-Beat Agents. But anyway. Um, yeah, I would I would recommend this game. I feel like if you... Are a fan of any kind of traditional fighter you have a lot to like about it especially because of the 26 yeah there's like over 26 characters you could pick from so which is also kind of surprising for a handheld game usually i would expect the roster to be a lot smaller but 
Yeah, that's um, SNK versus Capcom, the match of the millennium. You know, to your point about them, like different companies testing the waters with, with different emulations and releases, I, I do wonder, like, if they spent all that time building the Neo Geo, like, fake operating system you're talking about, like, you can actually go through the menu. Like, they announced in a tweet very casually that they're also doing a uh, Neo Geo compilation for Switch. And I do kind of wonder, I mean, there's like, I pulled a list. There's like six or seven Neo Geo uh, Pocket Color games you can get currently on Switch, including obviously SNK vs. Capcom, but also Fatal Fury First Contact, uh, King of Fires R2, Samurai Showdown 2, SNK Gal Fighters, and two, I have, I have no idea what they are, uh, Beyond the Destiny and um, The Last Blade. And either, my point is, they have all these right now, and they're making a compilation, and they have this crazy emulator. I'm kind of curious, like, what, like, it, it, is this for that? Like, are you ultimately, when you get the compilation, going to be able to play an actual Neo Geo and essentially emulate the entire experience of switching games and everything on the Neo Geo, like if you want to use the touchscreen, because like, that's a really cool, cool presentation style, if so. Wouldn't be surprised given how much effort they put into the OS side on here, but... Yeah, yeah. And, and it's something that, like, it's really interesting how every company, now that, like, the idea of a unified virtual console is not a thing this generation, uh, it's interesting how every company is, like, approaching that differently because, you know, the Capcom Arcade collection just came out and then that one you cycle through like a wall of arcade machines. It's like literally you just pass from arcade machine to arcade machine to pick your game. And then, you know, Blizzard announced um, their 30th anniversary collection at BlizzCon last week, which was, I think, Rock and Roll Racing, The Last Viking, and a third game I'm forgetting. And that one obviously has its own menu of doing things. So this one seems up there with the Capcom approach if they were to do it, where you're actually sitting there with a little Neo Geo inside your Switch. Like that's really cool. And I hope that means, you know, a Metal Slug or something, because that's pretty much all it's missing. Yeah. I was gonna say like I would be nice to have Metal Slug on on the Switch, but I do. I think I have every Metal Slug on the Switch. Oh, because of hamsters ports, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's a Neo Geo Metal Slug, so you know, I bet you don't have that mm-hmm. one. But um, that's true. Yeah. I, I feel like I sort of segued us into news by making that comment about like, oh, they're doing a collection, so I guess we should just go all in. Uh, there was, like I was saying at the top of the show, all a lot. Talk. Go. Yeah, but there was a lot of news these past two weeks. Um, we're not obviously going to talk about every game, but just to kind of chronologically go through it, we should probably kick off the Nintendo Direct. So, um, you know, Dustin said we talked about just the games versus, you know, people expecting so much out of, mm. after 530 days of not having one, which leads me to the question of which game was the most exciting or interesting for you guys. And I think since, Kevin, you went first with impressions, Angel, if you want to go first on, like, your top game from the presentation, what would you say it is? Um, I mean, easily Splatoon 3. I mean, that was definitely my most anticipated game. Realistically, my most realistically anticipated game. You know, like, if we had gotten, you know, I guess news that Metroid Prime 4 was on the tail end of its development and it was going to come out soon, that would probably beat it out. Right. right. But even then, I'm kind of glad we're still not hearing about it until it's finally ready. I don't Mm -hmm. want another initial announcement debacle. Which but, for sure they tried to dodge with Splatoon's announcement. I mean, the way they didn't just do a logo and did like, hey, look, here's like the start of the game. Here's how you pick your character. Here's how you pick your hair. Here's how like genders are gone. Here's how you ride a train like the Octo expansion. Here's like the world. Like they very clearly eased you in. It's like, look, it's a real game. It's not just a logo. We promise. We've done that before. It didn't work. Here's a game, which was nice to see. Yeah. And I get like, you know, trying to build hype early or just, I guess, reassuring people that it's in development, but. Yeah, sometimes it's just too early. But this one, you know, with the fact that we've been playing a lot of Splatoon in the last year, mm-hmm. I enjoy Splatoon 1 enough, not enough to get in it competitively. But, yeah, 
like I said, playing Splatoon a lot with some friends like every Wednesday. It's like I mean, it even got us to start streaming, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, that that got me much more invested into the Splatoon world. I mean, I even bought the DLC at one point and really enjoyed that. And you know, Salmon Run and that kind of stuff. Like it got me to start really. I don't know. It just it just got me really excited for a potential third game, and the fact that we would be able to play it from the ground floor instead of getting into it a year or two later when everything's already established and playing mm-hmm. online in any form in any capacity pretty much means we're most likely going to lose but which of those usually the case even when we're down a person you know even when our opponent is down a player we still lose we still, yeah we still lose <laughs> we still lose yeah. but yeah i i to your point about it being you know the game we've been playing a lot like i thought is very fitting and kind of cool that, you know, they announced Splatoon 3, which is a game we played the most in Pandemic, and then it's this dystopian Splatoon. I mean, there's always the undercurrent of Splatoon being dystopian, and even, you know, the last Splatfest, everyone picked Chaos, so the game steamed around Chaos. That was kind of like, you know, the connection where the fans got to help shape the direction of the game, but seeing it, like seeing the kind of Mag Max-ish dystopian world of Splatlands, and, you know, then through that trailer, they build up to showing you how everything looks destroyed like that weird upside down Eiffel Tower and then they get to that like Taiwanese style cityscape of Splatsville with the huge like verticality and like it just felt so different and big and weirdly fitting for granted we're not in Mad Max but you know we've had a bit of a dystopian with the pandemic that we that led us to play Splatoon 2 so much so it was kind of cool to see it all like come together in this way which got me excited like I think it's my pick too for basically that and the gameplay changes look great yeah like um that I mean uh, the um they're kind of significant, honestly. Like the the fact, you know, obviously there's new weapons like a bow. That's one thing. But like new moves are interesting. I mean the fact that you don't spawn at a set point but now kind of battle royale style spawn up in the air and then pick where you want to land. That's pretty crazy to me. And that, that I'm very happy about because uh, spawn camping is very much a thing that I know extremely well because you do it to me all the time, Angel. So it's really it's nice that like they basically it. sidestepped it. Now, it. Well, in three, you won't be able to. But like I think I that mean, could I'll still be able strike. to, just not as easily, because you know there was a set spot where you could land in this one. I mean, you know, there's going to be a limit to like how obviously how oh, sure. far off you but, can shoot yourself. So if I'm in that area, I'll I could still hunt you down. But see, that that's the thing. You now have to hunt me down. Like it's a it's a yeah. pretty significant strategy change that people have to now use. Which um, likewise, I these are much smaller. But on Nintendo's Twitter, they didn't really talk about it in the presentation they showed it but on their twitter they mentioned there's other new moves like there's a squid roll where you can like twirl up and over your ink like i guess like kind of go airborne and then there's one where you swim up walls you uh easier with a little leap at the end that they're calling the squid surge that one i'm actually particularly uh looking forward to because i can climb walls it's fine but like one of my pain points with splatoon 2 is always like when i get to the top of the wall like you just kind of plop out and i feel like i always die when that happens because someone's right there but if i can like jump up and like kind of do a spring attack like that that's pretty cool so, so it's like minor things so far, but it's all adding up to like, oh, this could be some significant game changers as it goes on. The question is going to be what big things do they do? I mean, single player looks like it's going to be a big part. They have that little salmon sidekick with you, but, um, you know, they've only confirmed Turf War coming back at this point. And I feel like given how they introduced only one mo- new mode in Splatoon 2, which was always kind of more of a Splatoon 1.5, just get it on the Switch, um, you know, if they could add clam blitz to that one game, they've got to have a bunch of ideas in their back pocket they've just been sitting on for this many years to put into Splatoon 3, right? Like, I feel like there's got to be something more notable or additional new competitive modes, and that that's pretty exciting. To your point about, like, Salmon Run, like, I feel like there's got to be something 
of that ilk in a different direction, which is cool. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's probably my favorite. I mean, it also just like looks more like a true sequel, you know, to my point about Splatoon 2 being Splatoon 1.5, like the graphical leap alone is really impressive. I mean, the ink looks notably better. Um, even like the way they redesigned the splat buttons, you know, like the confirmation buttons are like embossed and glistening now. And I'm not saying it's like made for 4k, but you know, 2022 rumors of a switch pro, like this would look very nice in 4k. It would certainly justify two switch, uh, two Splatoons on one switch on one system. So I'm just saying, um, but Ken, before we get to your pick, since I guess that was mine and angels, um, I did want to mention something cause I said battle royales a few minutes ago. And one thing I noticed in this direct is that uh, while Splatoon 3 was like the big closer, there were a bunch of other games that were, you know, if you're a fan of Splatoon, you may also like dot, dot, dot. Like they were right up that alley, you know, multiplayer-centric, battle-heavy, colorful, sort of candy-coated, like online experiences. Um, one of them was the already rumored Switch port of Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville, which is now a complete edition with all the DLC. And I just thought it was very funny how targeted it was to the Switch crowd where, like, they show a Switch on the screen and they show Joy-Cons on the Switch. And, of course, there's, like, 30 Joy-Con colors, right? And what do they use? The Splatoon Joy-Cons, which if that's not, like, a hey, Splatoon fans, check out this game. I, I don't know what is. But um, there are two others that caught my eye that I was curious what you guys thought about. Uh, the first is Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, which... I mean, I've never actually played it. I'm a Nintendo-only person, but, like, seeing it from afar, it always kind of felt most at home on Nintendo. I mean, you guys have PlayStations. Would you say that's an accurate assessment? Is it a, like, Nintendo first game that somehow ended up not on Nintendo initially? I never played it. No, I mean, I wouldn't say that necessarily. Does I it? mean, sure, it looks home on Switch, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it had to be on Switch. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't mean, like, they did something wrong. Switch. I just mean, like, it feels like like the best fit for switch more than you know like the audience lines up and everything i mean debatable i definitely mm, considering considering how much of like an online experience it is this would have to be one of those situations where it's docked ah uh, i see yeah, <laughs> yeah. because it's yeah because it's an online only experience nintendo is usually the last one i would think about but Aesthetically wise, I mean, just reminds me of that platform peril mini game that I remember being too good at from Mario Party Two. But mm. this guy, <laughs> the humble brag. Hey, fight me! But in bumper know, ball, I, sure. I, I really I wanted to play this game, even though I downloaded like on the first day on the PlayStation Four because of the PlayStation Plus. I just never got around to playing it, and deep down inside, I wanted it to come to Switch just because I feel like that's where I would actually play it the most or at all. So it's really cool to see that it's finally coming, and which means that we could also play it on Wednesday. Yeah, so, in our game cool. nights. Yeah, it's um, it does feel very much like kind of the same cloth as stuff we play. Like obviously Splatoon, but also like Rocket League. I mean, it's um, it it's really following the footsteps of Rocket League actually, because it had you know it was originally a PS Plus free game for a little while, then it became a paid game. Then it started going to other platforms. It introduced costumes in the same way that Rocket League did car skins. Like it feels very kind of lockstep. So I. I Part of me wonders is when, if when it comes out this summer, if they're going to go all the way with that pattern and actually give us Nintendo costumes for the characters. Because, you know, Rocket League launched with Mario, Luigi, and Samus as car options. I feel like a little Mario outfit or like a little Link costume or, I don't know, I a Samus they already cool. did announce a Mario outfit. For Fall Guys? Yeah. Oh. I did not know that. That's cool if so. Because, I mean, they already have Godzilla and Sonic, so it's not that much of a leap. At this I know. Point. I hope we get the chance to get those again. Hope, assuming we will, but you know, for the Switch crowd that wasn't there for those initially, but right, 
Yeah, and That's it's the thing uh, is, it's gonna stay like. Is it gonna have parity with the current season that it's on, or is it just gonna start over? Kind of wonder. I imagine. Yeah, that's kind of a good question because, like, with in the case of Rocket League, it started one way and then became crossplay at some point, didn't it? So, like, if this if Fall Guys doesn't crossplay, they don't need necessarily a parity. But if they try and do crossplay on day one, you kind of need parity because they need to do it like Apex Legends is doing is basically catch everyone up. Like Apex, as they were saying in the direct, you know, and as we talked about last episode, you're gonna every Switch player gets a bunch of experience right up front. They get 30 free levels right up front. And then they mentioned in the direct for the first time that's also going to be double experience for all Switch players and only Switch players for the first two weeks it's on Switch. So they're because really like, oh, we need to get you up to huh? exactly, yeah. So I'm I'm wondering if Fall Guys is crossplay, they're gonna have to do parity. To your point, if it's isolated like Rocket League initially was, they have a little more wiggle room. So hmm. it, it it it's funny how like something that seems like such a no brainer, like oh yeah, Fall Guys on Switch, is like there's so many little like pieces to it of how do they make it like work, quote unquote, in a way that makes sense. So I guess that's to wait and see. It's it's not out till um sometime this summer. Um, so that was game number one. I wanted to mention that's kind of about royale. The other I wanted to bring up before we get to your favorite, Kevin, was uh, Knockout City, and this is a game that, to be honest. I feel like it didn't have the strongest trailer. I mean, EA, I think, was trying to be a little too clever with it. Like, they had all these different video game character tropes discussing how they compete with one another. And they sort of were saying, up, like, oh, the football players are going to talk about football. The military guys are going to talk about, like, a military game. But then it kept flashing over to this thing that looked kind of like Fortnite, but also sort of like Ninjala, but, like, kind of Splatoon. Also are mixed in this way I don't really – couldn't really follow. And I was sort of just like, what is this? Until at the very end, they flashed the developer logo and that caught my attention. Uh, Valen or Valen or however you say it, Studios, uh, V-E-L-A-N, they're the guys you may recognize as being the folks behind Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, which means we're talking about the very creative original founders of Vicarious Visions. So when we were eulogizing Vicarious Visions getting sucked into Blizzard a couple episodes ago, I was saying, you know, we have the original founders did like their Tar Hero on DS and made Tony Hawkwork on Game Boy, et cetera, et cetera. And then they went off and formed this other studio which is now making knockout cities. So the pedigree here is kind of what piqued my interest. And it was just, it just was a very confusing trailer. And I had to end up reading up a bunch of different articles, uh, reading about it on a bunch of different articles, just kind of get a feel of what it is. And honestly, if you get past the weird trailer, the game seems pretty cool in concept. I mean, I don't know if, if like if anything about it caught your guys's eye um, when they first showed it, or if you were equally confused at all, but essentially it's over the top dodgeball. So it's like, it's like dodgeball in the way that Splatoon's a shooter. So you play in these urban environments, uh, there's some verticality, you need to like rush to these ball spawn points to grab a ball before the opposing team does, or you can thwack it out of their hand with some sort of melee attack. And then once you have the ball, it's kind of on auto lock system. Uh, so it makes it more about like the timing of throwing the ball than actually landing it, because the ball will, in some instances, be able to like curve around corners and hit opponents. Uh, but where it gets more interesting is, you know, that sort of Splatoonification of dodgeball. So, you know, if, if you look at Splatoon as a team-based shooter, what makes it Splatoon is they add this layer of wackiness that actually requires you to sort of change up your strategies. Like, it's not just wacky for sake of wacky, it affects the gameplay really directly. And here, it sounds like similar ideas, at least conceptually, from what I was reading. Like, different balls with different attributes. So there'll be a bomb ball that if you try to catch instead of getting you know uh pegged by it which is standard dodgeball procedure but if you try and catch it it could blow up on you so there's you have to change your strategy there and then there's you know different modes like uh some are just three round normal pure ko count racking so whoever gets the most ko's across three rounds wins but there's one called diamond dash where you dying actually helps because you're trying to collect a bunch of diamonds and if you die you burst the diamonds appears where you are for your teams to teammates to grab 
So it's whoever gets the most diamonds, but you have to like kind of coordinate. All right, well, if someone's about to die, you need to be over there with them and that sort of thing. And then uh, there's this weird ability to literally roll yourself into a ball, which again feels very Splatoony. Like you know, you can swim in the ink. You, the thing you do in the environment can become what you are, and likewise, here we are. You could become a ball and be picked up and thrown by your teammates, uh, which I guess is how they're trying to really make coordination a focal point of a competitive sport, if you call it, that really is sort of isolated, right? Like you have you know, one person here, one person there, but they're really trying to bring it together and make it so you have to work together. So whether this all actually like pans out into something super fun like Splatoon or whether it becomes kind of a haphazard weird thing like Ninjala, I guess remains to be seen. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Like there, there's actually a PC beta uh, happening this weekend, and then there's a crossplay beta on Switch on That's April second. Cool. Try to check out footage or something. Yeah, so like I'm gonna be curious to see what impressions from those suggest about like the execution of these ideas. And you know, even if they're a bit iffy, um, when the game comes out on May 21st, it's still gonna have a full trial. The game um, is gonna. They're doing Wait, something you different. A full child? Trial, trial. Oh, full, full child, child. yes. Yeah. Knockout State will be giving birth to Knockoutville, yes. No, but there's um, there's actually they're doing something a little different, which for EA is kind of nice. Um, this game screams either free to play or some sort of like cash grabby situation. But what they're gonna do is it's a twenty dollar flat price, and in it you get um access to every season. They're gonna do nine week seasons. Each season you get new unlockables, mainly for cosmetic purposes and stuff like that. Uh, but you can earn them all in game for that one flat twenty dollar price. You don't need to put real money in. Which, kind of refreshing in a way. I feel like Fall Guys, I think it's going to be priced the same most likely. So it's going to be a similar situation. But um, yeah, there's when they launch the game, they're going to have a free trial. So you can still kind of, the same way you can dabble in free to plays for stuff like Ninjala or Fortnite or what have you, you can do that here. But then you don't have to keep paying a subscription, essentially. It's just a one and done thing. So that's kind of nice. And I'll probably, unless the game really sucks, I'm probably going to try that out come May. Because it looks kind of cool. It, it It's... You could tell that Vicarious, or sorry, Valen Stu- Studios, um, you know, did a lot of Nintendo work because it kind of has the, a similar approach to a game idea as a Nintendo game would. So whether they execute on it, we'll, we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll find out, I guess, but it caught my eye. So anyway, we Kevin, we owe you your pick. What did you think was the best game or most interesting game in the direct? Uh, without a doubt, Mario Golf Super Rush. I love Mario Golf. Probably my favorite Mario series. Uh, even more than Smash or uh, Kart, honestly. Really? Uh, I mean, it's good, but really? Yep. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Toastal Tour is my favorite GameCube game. Uh, the 3DS Mario Golf game was awesome. Open Tour? World Tour? Uh, World Tour. Tour. Yeah, World Tour. World Tour, yeah. That game was awesome. I played a lot of that online. Uh, the only thing that I'm worried about is that in the trailer, the narrator, uh, calls them like luscious, uh, realistic environments or something like that. I forgot what she says exactly. Cause that's what we photo- so, no, Mario was, was it photorealistic? Yeah, right? It, yeah. W- it definitely wasn't photorealistic. Um, just been, yeah, it, it was, did say the word realistic, which was a bit of a red flag. But they, but they, yeah, they were realistic. So, um, that's a I'm worried that some of the whimsy of Open Tour and Toastal Tour is just not going to be there. Yeah, that that's the uh, especially thing. considering that they didn't show any of those whimsical maps. And that's the thing that like or, really uh, stuck out. Was it's so muted looking. Like it it is going for this really like 
plain art style. I mean, the it's weird because like it's not like they have limited resources. Like it's not like there. It's not like someone at Camelot's like guys. We don't have time to make mushrooms you bounce off of and fun little warp pipes with piranha plants. Like just make a golf game. Like they someone at that company had enough time to sit there and design and code the soles of Mario's shoes and those outfits, which have a hint of the whimsy we're missing. You know, like Wario dressing like an oil tycoon, which is perfectly on brand for greed or you know there's i don't know if you guys saw in the trailer there's a very brief shot of waluigi wearing this sort of like gangster attire that kind of rivals his mario kart tour london look like that's the best waluigi this is maybe runner up but you know that the point is that's high praise but my real point is um like they have the capability to do the whimsy they just didn't at least from what we've yeah. seen really? um yeah, but I, I, I do wonder if some of that's because they focused it. Like, it seems like on some level, maybe they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Like, it's the way they presented the game in the trailer, it's like, hey, if you want to play a real, like, a, a golf game, like, as a casual gamer, like, check it out. It has motion controls. It's like you're really golfing. And it's like, or if you want to play a Mario golf game, well, we got this separate siloed off looking mode, which is speed golf. Which does have the whimsy, just not visually, but definitely in gameplay, it feels like it's more of like a Mario Party, Mario Golf, or a Mario Kart type of approach to golf than any normal Mario Golf has ever directly been. Like it's, it seems like they're splitting the game off like a Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, where you have like the regular Olympic sports, or yeah, it's you know uh, Bowser doing like a uh, gym routine or something, but it's basically a gym routine, and they have like the dream courses and the dream events, where it's a lot more like ridiculous and i feel like speed golf is kind of that like yeah. I, I, I as long as camelot learned their lesson from the last game and just have more modes not not even modes just options just game options that should be standard because they used to do this in their older games like actually customize how many rounds how many like what type of sets you want to do but i mean that's obviously more of a tennis thing but that was like very absent from their most recent tennis game, which this one, you know, because it's made by the same people, like mm -hmm. tennis didn't grab me the way I wish it did. And I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen to golf. So I'm just kind of like cautiously optimistic about it because of that. Yeah, I I think, well, it's, it's interesting because I think they are putting a lot of effort into certain areas. The question is whether that translates to what like fans are kind of looking for. Because like Kevin, you know, you're saying you want the whimsy, like. Was it was what was it about? Was it just like the visual, or like was it the interactive nature of the golf courses? Because like World Tour, you could like bounce golf balls off mushrooms and stuff, right? Like, so I imagine it's some yeah, of that. A, a little bit of both, honestly. Because yeah, I feel like that's there, sort of, kind of, but only in speed golf. Like they they didn't really talk about speed golf. They showed it, and some people did analysis videos that I was watching, and it kind of seems like there's two things at play there. One is it's actually cribbing. You mentioned Mario Tennis Angel. It's kind of cribbing Mario Tennis a bit because there's these new super shots. So from what people have seen or can try and distinguish, there's a meter you fill up. It seems like you fill it up by collecting coins as you run around the course, and then you unleash a powered up shot when your meter's full, and the shot both gives you a boost for you know going to get your ball because the whole thing with speed golf is you're all playing at once and you're all running around and you hit the ball and you need to run to the ball and hit it again. So you get a boost when you do a power-up shot by doing that, but simultaneously you can disrupt other players' balls too depending on the effect of your power shot. So that's very much Mario Tennis's super shots. That's very much you know a Mario Kart kind of disruption idea. Um, and that that feels like kind of the whimsy just in a different way. And then there's also the ability to actually, it looks like, boost yourself with the dash button 
Um, so, you know, you're running, you're trying to get the ball, and then you have a separate meter that you could fill up. And that's where, like, in the trailer, you know, Luigi was using an ice flower and Peach was randomly ribbon dancing, which I don't know what that's referencing exactly. Maybe Mar and Sonic. But regardless, uh, you you have, like, limited stamina oh. for that, and you have to grab hearts on the way, and they have to weigh the odds of do you go out of your way to get the heart or do you just go get your ball and that sort of thing. So, again, that feels very much like the kind of chaotic energy of, like, a Mario Kart or something. So... I, in a way, it feels like the whimsy's there. It's just not at all what Mario Golf's whimsy was, you know. <laughs> like it's, it, yeah. yeah. But like, and and it, it, I appreciate that it has online. Like, you can do that speed golf mode offline or online locally. It supports four players. Like, that's pretty cool. And I imagine it could be really fun with friends online. Like, I think you know we keep name dropping our or referencing our Wednesday game night group. I think that this could be fun for that. Um, but I do definitely appreciate that speed golf seems to be a separate mode. Which gives I me worry hope. that yeah. I, I worry that the courses were built around this uh, speed golf mode, and that's why they're not mm-hmm. as whimsical as they could be. I could see that. If like if they put all their eggs in this uh, what golf rush? Well, I'm sorry, speed what was golf, the name again? I'm speed golf. <laughs> speed. The, the, the honestly, speed golf, golf rush is a much better and it name. does and it doesn't <laughs> land the way that they wanted to. This game could flop. Yeah, and I think I mean the, the the golfing will always will always be um will always be uh God, what's the word? I'm I'm just lost today. That's all right. Sorry, guys, I'm tired. I pulled I pulled a uh, eighteen hour shift last Jeez. night. So yeah, I didn't realize that long. Wow. Um, but the golf you mean like the actual golf mechanic will always be solid, like the core golf. Mechanic, yeah, it's just how yeah. they layer it. The the, the core golfing will, will always be good. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, you could see in the trailer. It was right there. They had the meter and everything, just like they used to, you know, the three-button press thing. But, yeah, it's – uh I am very curious how much they did – how many eggs they did put in the speed golf basket. Because they also, like, have the RPG mode, the single-player, like, kind of more RPG-ish mode where you can rank up your different stats and you walk around. And it's, it's very much like World Tour where you're actually, like, walking around and interacting and, like, picking tournaments and then you get stats to boost. Um, Which, you know, we didn't really see, like, Camelot – to your point, Angel, about hopefully they go deep enough, like Camelot moved away from that sort of like deeper RPG mode. Like uh, Tennis Aces had kind of a story mode, but it was very like bare bones and you just leveled up as a whole thing. Like it wasn't like you break it down. Um, I don't think Open had much like that. Like I think the last game that really had something of this caliber was World Tour and that came out in 2014. So it's been a while. But the fact that it's back and the fact that they kind of were taking their time with this, it's been two years since Aces, um, actually three years, I think. I am hopeful that speed golf is just a piece of it and not the core of it, you know? Um, but I, I guess we will, we will see. And I mean, even let's say hypothetically it is the core of it. World tour had, you know, 200 holes to start with. And then they did DLC that brought in a hundred more. So they literally added 33% more content. If it's possible, you know, if speed golf is the start, they can add whimsy and vigor and whatnot later with DLC. I don't know if I'd want that, but they could do it. How successful have they been this generation of adding DLC? It depends on the game. Mario it Kart, Mario Kart de- never really got anything. The new Mario stuff, Mario Party the new stuff does. Um, so yeah, if, Mario Party never that's did. True, Party did. But on the flip side, we're talking tennis, about DLC specifically, not what it got included with Mario Kart. Well, on the, well, I was gonna say on the flip side, you know, Arms had months of DLC, Splatoon had months of DLC, all free. Um, Hyrule Warriors, I don't anything know, except characters. I don't know if I re- uh, even really want to count Arms just because that one, yeah, was DLC, but 
It was more like we're making this game whole as opposed to adding to this game to keep the game. But theoretically, if our concern is the game isn't whole and they hear the feedback, the game isn't whole, they could shore it up after the fact. But um, isn't that how people felt about Mario Tennis Aces, though? A little. Yeah. A little. Not as much as arms, for sure. Yeah. No, Aces was they tried that same exact strategy, but it was uh, more subdued. Like it wasn't entire pieces of a game missing. Like they, I don't think they added a whole new mode or anything with. Or no, they did. They added, um, they added some multiplayer options and stuff with Aces after the fact. So, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just hoping they like, you know, properly address this up front versus having to add after the fact. But Nintendo does do like DLC for them is just an almost an afterthought. I mean, if you look at the direct, like Hyrule Warriors: Age of Clarity, they announced a whole expansion pass and they didn't even, like they spent 15 seconds on it. They just put a screen up that listed it. So like, and that's gonna, you know, they're charging 20 bucks or whatever for that. And that's gonna be a whole bunch of content coming down the pipe. So theoretically, they could do that with Mario Golf. And World Tour was like one of the prototype DLC things they did. It's one of the very first games that had like serious paid for DLC. So you never know. I'm hoping we don't have to wait for that, but it, it could be how they do it. Depending on, you know, if, if, if Speed Golf really is affecting the whole game directly. So. So yeah, otherwise it would probably have been my number one pick from the presentation. Like Splatoon 3 is great, but Mario Golf has been so long and Toadstool Tour was so good that, you know, in concept this should have been number one. But yeah, everything kind of held it back for me a little, I think. Um, but I do think it's noteworthy that, you know, Super Rush is going the route of being more of a sequel to World Tour than, say, a Mario Golf Aces. Like they are bringing back the story mode. They are, you know, doing more. Um, obviously because that just means more content. But I'd also say that it, Solar points to like Mario Golf was the one game that I feel like kind of best represented everything going on in the direct as a whole. Like if you were to draw a Venn diagram of all the takeaways from the direct and all the little trends that were in it, like Mario Golf is it's smack in the middle of the middle circle. Like it it is the everything connect everything links back ha huh, to uh, Mario Golf pun not intended. But um, what like one of the things to me about the direct that um, was kind of interesting that Mario Golf really embodies was the library of games shown to me really demonstrated that while many consider Switch to be like a console on the go, in terms of its library, it is just as much a handheld you play on your TV. Like if you look back at the heyday of the Game Boy Advance or the DS or the 3DS, like those systems, they became kind of the de facto place for the, for like more traditional RPG experiences, for like visual novels, for basically those games that had a little simpler production, but anime character talking to a dialogue box setups, you know, like, so we're not talking the fancy big blockbuster RPGs, but they carved out the niche for 2D ones, for throwback ones. It it very much was the place you go for that. And if you look at what was in the Direct with that in mind, so many of the games fit that bill. You've got Legend of Mana. You've got Bravely Default 2. You've got Saga Frontier Remastered. You've got uh, Project Triangle Strategy, which has got to be the worst game name yet in the HD 2D series, even though it still looks great graphically. Like, what are these names? Um... But then on top of those, like you've got Metopia, which is a bit lighter of an RPG experience. You've got, as we were talking about, Mario Golf, which has the RPG experience in it. You've even got Famicom Detective Club, which doesn't have RPG elements, but is a visual novel, which is kind of the other side of this coin. And, you know, that's seven out of 30 games in the direct that would have probably only been handheld experiences, but are now sort of at the forefront of what Switch is offering in 2021 thus far. And even the fact that the kickoff of the presentation was two characters from Xenoblade, uh, Pyra and Mirthra, you know, joining Smash. We're going to talk a lot more about that, specifically next episode, because that's after Sakurai does his presentation on March 4th, all about the characters. And I'm sure it's just 
Gettysburg have a lot to say, but you know, that's RPG nod number eight in a direct with 30 games. That's a third practically of all the games in the presentation were kind of this like thing that used to live on the handhelds is now on the consoles. And I, I think it's in part because the audience is definitely there. Like Legend of Mana may not seem like a huge deal to us, but Trial of Mana, uh, the previous remaster, that sold over a million copies. Um, you know, Project Triangle Strategy, was it worth four and a half minutes of the presentation? Well, Octopath sold 2.5 million copies. So if Octopath Traveler could sell 2.5 million copies, yes, Nintendo's going to spend four and a half minutes talking about Triangle Strategy, which again, horrible name, pretty graphics. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like this angle the Switch is going right now. Did any of those games like going kind of more in the handheld direction is there anything there that sort of interests you guys i have one that jumped out to me mm, any of from any of those probably just that the detective club one just because it reminded me of phoenix Wright style games you know yeah that was my pick murder too. mystery and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah, and other stuff would just look interesting especially when it comes to rpgs they have to really blow me out of the water via tales game just because there are too many that i'm playing currently and I'm right. not gonna stop any of them midway through to play another one, but yeah, I I think Famicom Club, uh, Famicom Detective Club was one that caught my eye too. Um, it's admittedly the least RPG of the bunch, but you know there is a history of those sorts of games doing really well on Nintendo handhelds. I mean, Nintendo dabbled in it with visual novels like Hotel Dusk and Trace Memory. You have Capcom doing Phoenix Wright. You have Access doing Nine Nine Nine. You. Uh, what else is there? There was a whole, like, the DS in particular really thrived with those. And it's interesting now that Nintendo, like, is bringing it back in two games. They have Famicom Detective Club, The Missing Air, and Famicom Detective Club, The Girl Who Stands Behind. And, I mean, if you if you had a Nintendo bingo card that had Famicom Detective Club on it, like, go buy a lot of tickets. Because that, that is a deep cut of Nintendo history, and this is a franchise that never, like, you know, previously came to the U.S., and now Nintendo's remastering it twice. So it's kind of like conceptually, it's very interesting because if this does well, it opens the door to who knows what other um, sort of IPs could come back, or if we get like a sequel to Trace Memory, or or you know, a new Hotel Dusk or whatever. Um, but really, I'm just curious to see a how much of a game these actually are, and b how well they actually do, like sales wise. Like the point A from everything everything that Nintendo's shown, it seems to mostly be just a visual novel in like the most literal sense, like minimal gameplay. You know, they talk about the music, the soundtrack, the voice work. They mention you can play the classic music or the new music. Like it's up to you, but there's zero mention of any sort of interactive elements. Like what is the gameplay beyond just following the dialogue? Um, which, I mean, Angel, I know you're well-versed in visual novels. You played a bunch of them. Does, do you have a type you prefer? Do you prefer if it's more interactive or are you cool with it just kind of being a book you press a through i'm literally fine with them just being a book but you know the ones that i've played the most are the ones that have puzzle elements to them like you know i've played like i really love um 999 nine doors nine persons nine something <laughs> what the last <laughs> <nine> was. <laughs> that's the official title nine something um you know i played most some of the sequel and i still have the third so i'm still playing through those but you know i've played things like time hollow obviously all like six ace attorney games Mm-hmm. And a lot of them vary in like whether you have like a character control. Like if you played some of Trace Memory, which is cool so far, but that one is like definitely like the most different between those. Kind of like um, Ace Attorney Investigations, where you walk around as Edgeworth and you mm-hmm. find clues, and that one's probably the most closest to Trace Memory than anything. Right, the most gamey. Yeah, but I- I'm perfectly fine with any of them. Like, I mean. This is probably the closest you can get me to read a modern novel or something. <laughs> so I guess that, that leads to the question of what would 
because you said the one that maybe most interested is this is it gonna boil down to like how reviews of the story are because i feel like for me whether i pick this up or not really gonna depend on like is it well written as a story yeah well i don't know i think i might just take a chance on it regardless i mean that's mm. kind of how i did with ace attorney and all those other ones i mentioned like they just seemed interesting like i don't remember reading a review for 999 if anything i think i picked it up solely on the fact that it just looked like like oh it's a puzzle-based graphic novel I mean, visual novel. Also kind of like it's like um, Professor Layden. But, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess Professor so. Layden would fit the bill too. But yeah, it's... it's um, To your point about like, taking the plunge, I think Nintendo's kind of banking on that because to point B about how well the game's going to do, like the other reason I'm kind of interested in it, is they're selling it in a really interesting way that I feel like got kind of buried. Like they may have mentioned it, but it wasn't really highlighted enough in my opinion. But basically each game's going to retail for thirty four ninety nine on its own. But if you buy one in the eShop, you can get the other for $10 off. So combined, you're looking at two stories, The Missing Heir and The Girl Who Stands Behind, costing about 5 bucks less than a standard Switch game. But you can buy them separately, which really does scream like experiment to me. Like Nintendo could have you know, given us a bundle of both at regular price, but they probably wanted to avoid that high barrier of entry with something that you know is very different for them. So... Because, yes, they've done stuff like this on a DS, but there's never been strictly a novel, which looks like this is. So by doing this kind of, like, foot in the door, like, hey, it's only 35 bucks, give it a shot. If you like it, get the other one, and voila, they, Nintendo gets the 60 bucks they would charge anyway. Like, it seems like a really smart way to sort of get people like you or even like me maybe to sort of just take the plunge and see what it is. Because, you know, they're obviously confident enough you'll like it enough to get the second one. But in the off chance you don't, they still got 35 bucks out of you versus nothing. So it's kind of a clever strategy for rolling it out. I'm curious... You know, if that does well, are we going to see Nintendo bring back Hotel Dusk? Are we going to see them try and do a new Trace memory? It did actually have a Wii sequel, so it has been on consoles before. Or are we going to see them revive other IPs? I mean, this is a deep cut. If this is fair game, you know, what else is fair game? Like, Mole Mania? That Miyamoto Game Boy game that, like, no one remembers? Like, anything's fair game at that point, I feel like. Well, so. you remembered it now, so that's off the table. True. Okay. Yep. Goodbye, Mole Mania. Maybe the ninja game from Nintendo Land that I forget the name of. Something Castle. But I remember that too. So I guess everyone I name is not going to happen, huh? Yeah, stop saying stuff before you okay, say someone else's favorite so, game. <laughs> so I won't. But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. It comes out in May. You know, it'll be interesting to see how it does. Um, but it's actually, by the way, smack in the middle. You know, it coming out in May. It's smack in the middle of another oddity I noticed in the Direct, which is if you look at Nintendo's lineup the first half of this year, um, and this is sort of the other big trend that Mario Golf also signaled to me in the presentation. But if you look at their lineup, they have a lot of stuff mm-hmm. coming out between now and August. None of it is new content directly from Nintendo. Like Mario Golf is first party but developed by Camelot. New Pokemon Snap is first party but developed by Bandai, Nam- uh, Bandai Namco. No More Heroes 3 isn't first party but Nintendo's kind of marketing it like it's first party. It's coming out the exact same final week as uh, Astral Chain did in August a few years ago to much success. Like they, every game they're showing, you know, Famicom Detective Club is a remake, so it's old content that's just being spruced up, which not to diminish the quality of it, I'm sure it's great, but you know, like they're putting a lot of effort into it, but it's not like they drafted something completely original here, they're updating something. And it's just interesting that like they, every game they showed was kind of that same thing. I mean, even the other two we haven't even talked about yet, there's two first party games developed internally by Nintendo coming this year, Metopia and The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD, both are ports. Which is not to say it's a bad thing. I mean, I think Metopia getting a second lease on life is actually pretty great. I remember hearing a lot of good things about the original on 3DS, how it sort of, you know, combined Tomodachi life's relationships with, uh, 
an RPG that I guess is a deeper version of the Street Pass RPG quest. Is it quest? I think it's quest. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Sounds it's right. quest. Uh, but anyway, and I, I don't know like uh, how you guys feel, but even a small trend I noticed in the Direct is Miis are suddenly getting a renewed interest from Nintendo. Like They were such an iconic part of the DS and the Wii era, and they kind of lived on through 3DS and Wii U, and then they sort of like dropped off like games that previously had them continued having them so mario kart smash mario maker brought back but like they were not the focal point of the switch in the way they were other systems so and you know before like metopia and randomly mario golf's story mode uh you know it, we didn't see them get supported in real ways they're just kind of like an afterthought so it's interesting that now they're at the center of mario golf story mode they're at the center of metopia uh, I mean, given our entire podcast branding is built around our Mies, I'm glad to see Nintendo starting to kind of care about them again. Um, and I don't know if that's something you guys even care about or noticed or anything, but it was kind of a pleasant surprise Not to me that they came back. particularly, but it is cool. Nope. I mean, I never really noticed that they were gone just because, you know, I play Smash Brothers, so I see them semi-regularly, and some mm-hmm. other people have me avatars, you know, on the Switch, so it never really felt like I, I, yeah, I guess the thought just ever crossed my mind. Like, oh, we haven't seen Mies integrated in games lately, but I know. I, I guess you're right. <laughs> I do wish they integrated them more from the start. Because, like, the early plan for the Switch, it was leaked a month or two ago, like a report surface, and the early system specs that were sent to developers, Street Pass was on Switch. And I really, really liked Street Pass. Like, I thought it was a really cool way to, like, cooperatively do stuff with strangers, you know, all the Street Pass games, like Quest and whatnot. I thought for Nintendo, it was a really smart marketing strategy because, you know, you see all these 3DSs everywhere, um, and that makes you maybe want a 3DS. Like, you know, we go to conventions and everyone would have 3DSs out. Like, there'd just be piles of people in corners on 3DSs. And for a system like the Switch where it's all about, hey, you can play console games on the go now, it seems like that would have been a decent marketing move too. Like, hey, here's, you know, a bunch of people playing Switch. You should check out the Switch. And yet Nintendo didn't do anything with it. It's it's very much like, um, you know, like what we're seeing now at Famic- uh, Famicom Detective Club where they're like reviving this old thing. Like I'm more interested in Metopia and Mario Golf using Miis for the concept of like, oh, they can bring that back. They maybe are doing something with it than for what it actually is. Like I'm super interested in Famicom Detective Club because it's a super obscure thing Nintendo's reviving. Me's kind of fall into that for me, and I don't, and I don't know if there if there's more coming. Like I want, I hope that maybe we do eventually get a street pass. Um, I don't know if it's entirely wishful thinking on my part either. Data miners recently found in the Switch firmware that the system has hidden support for special Mies, which you may recall on the 3DS and Wii and Wii U were those gold pants Mies of Nintendo employees that cele- and celebrities that you know you go to an event and you go to the Nintendo Zone, like the Drop Zone, and they like send it to your ds or your 3ds i guess and um you know there's miyamoto on yours and then you can put them in your games or there's like random celebrity and the fact that it's now there in the switch firmware somewhere uh it's kind of making me a little hopeful that there's a full me revival like maybe not street pass that might be wishful thinking but they could definitely use the news channel to deliver them like they did with spot pass on the 3ds like we could you know they have so many celebrity endorsements now they just the other day um put up a video from uh oh, what's her name from annie murphy from schitt's creek she's doing ads for nintendo serena williams is doing ads for nintendo aquafina is doing ads. like it's not that hard for them to like send out me's of these people too so i could see that as kind of as they move more into the casual space them trying to get me's back in the spotlight and i hope that means street pass i really do i always thought it was really cool 
Yeah, strippers would be cool. Gives me more of a reason to take out my switch since I usually only use it docked. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah, because you're mostly a TV gamer. Yeah. It's weird because I'm 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 pretty much fifty fifty these days. Like I'll even if the TV's right in front of me, sometimes I'll just like curl up with the switch. Like I feel like Final yeah, Detective Club. I play pick a lane, dude. I know that's the beauty of the switch. There are three lanes and you can move between them freely. But anyway, so that's Metopia. Um, the port that I'd say most people actually care about is not Metopia. Shocker! It's uh, Skyward Sword HD. I feel like it's been a bit of a hot button issue in terms of how people care about it. Some good, some bad. Where do you guys land on it? And different. I mean, I liked it when it came out, and it was just the next one that needed to be HDified. So, yeah, <laughs> it it exists. <laughs> How about you, Kevin? I never played it. I'd much rather have Wind Waker HD and Twilight Princess HD be ported over than this game. Good news for you. On paper, it makes sense why they went with this game. It, but it, it does or doesn't. Sorry, I didn't catch yeah. that. Uh, it makes sense why they went with this game with right. the HD remaster because it is the last one, as Angel stated. But eh, yeah, it's uh, well. Good news for you is uh, a couple journalists that are supposedly in the know are saying Wind Waker and Twilight Princess will get uh, ported from Wii U to Switch sometime this year. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. It's it's funny because a lot of people, a lot of folks online which i didn't understand like oh this is anti-consumer they're charging 60 bucks for the same game and i mean the game is basically the same it's up res but they did add button support and i feel like motion control is the thing that held it back for a lot of people i mean the game compared to other zeldas did not sell as well as at the tail end of the wii life cycle it, uh, the last known number is somewhere between 3.5 and 4 million um you know so Maybe motion control was the was the inhibitor. Who knows? But the fact that now they have button control, you needed it, Wii Motion Plus for it you too, did. didn't you? Yeah, that's true. That hurt adoption even more. So, so they have now. You can get, um, you know, the Joy Con. You can use the Joy Cons. You get these new uh, Master Sword and Hylian Shield style Joy Cons. They're really trying to like turn a port into a major event in the same way they did like Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Like, you know, they like, come July, everyone needs to get these things because like it's Zelda. It's the 35th anniversary. We gotta do it. Um, but they, they're definitely just following their own pattern. I mean, yeah, they're going to charge 60 bucks because, you know, New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, it's a lesser port. All they did was add, uh, easy mode, essentially. This one, they're actually mapping buttons and doing stuff. Um, you know, completely changing how you interact with the game. Use the right stick to move the short, the sword now instead of just motion, should you want to. Um, Mario U Deluxe, like I started to say, sold 9.82 million copies on Switch versus the Wii U version selling 5.81 million. 21 million people have bought Breath of the Wild. Lifetime sales of Skyward Store were like 4 million. So even if the people that are like, oh, this is so anti-consumer Nintendo, I hate this, just don't buy it, which is their choice. And, it's, you know, if they don't want to pay 6 bucks, they don't have to. There are still, you know, 17 million potential new Skyward Sword players. 17 million people who heard Zelda producer E.G. Numa in the direct make that kind of weird comment about like, look at how... Um, you know, this is the game where vertical climbing started. And see that stamina meter that you know in Breath of the Wild? It's over here too. Or look, the paraglider's here for like a tiny use. Like, it's a, it's a silly sales pitch, especially to go, we don't have Breath of the Wild 2 for you, but we do have this game that has two small features in it. Um, but it will, you know, probably sell some of those 17 million people who bought Breath of the Wild and never played Skyward Sword. So for Nintendo, I think this makes like total sense to do. Um, and it, you know, the strategy's already working. Like, Skyward Sword's already the top-selling game on Amazon. 
months before release. So I like everyone that's like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this. Like, what did you expect, really? Like, truthfully, what did you expect? So I, I will admit though that I think people were expecting Breath of the Wild two news. Mm, I mean, that's fair. And announcing Skyward Sword with, oh, hey, you want Breath of the Wild 2? Well, it's not ready yet, so here's this other port. Is kind of an odd way to introduce this. I will give you that. Um, but the, I, I think it does, you know, I think this port again in Breath of the Wild 2 not showing up does point to something being up with Nintendo's first party output. I mean, I was saying before, you know, they don't have any direct first party new properties in the works. And I think there's probably I have at least two trains of thoughts about why that may be. The more pessimistic but perhaps realistic is that, you know, the pandemic slowed development down. Uh, what we're seeing now, the remakes, the collaborations with studios, could be Nintendo trying to pull off what they can with more limited resources. Like everything we saw in 2020, which sounds like most of what they had planned for 2020 ended up coming out, um, that was basically done. Like I was in the final stretch and people were working from home on that final stretch. They didn't need to be as collaborative and in office for that part. But if you're very deep in the trenches, and this is a point actually Reggie was making on, um, he did something with Jeff Keighley. It's uh, Twitter Spaces. Like I don't know if you guys know um, Clubhouse, which is a trendy new startup where basically you're sitting in on a live podcast, but they can turn on the mic on anyone. So it's like an audio chat room, and you can like it's like a conference call, but on the internet. Um, Jeff Keighley and Reggie did one, and Reggie was saying that he definitely thinks there's going to be a lot more delays this year because we're at the point where you need that collaboration and development's so collaborative that it's really hard to do work from home. And you know it's happening across all the systems. Grand Turismo Seven was just delayed the other day by a year. So, and you know there's so many of those like uh, the Twitter image with the text and the little logo in the corner from a developer saying our game's delayed. Like there's been like dozens of those in the last nine months. So it's likely that nintendo is actually realistically maybe running on fumes at this point in terms of trying to get new stuff out and needs to sort of regain it like regather itself and go forward um so that might be why we didn't see breath of the wild too alternatively if you'd like to join me in putting on your conspiracy tinfoil hats for a second i think there's an argument to be made that all the trends i mentioned in the direct you know the ports the quiet first party the emphasis on handheld first experiences even the fact that there are now button controls in Skyward Sword, which makes it a handheld-friendly game now instead of a motion-only game. Like, all of that could be Nintendo clearing it out of the way because maybe in, say, the later part of this year or perhaps early next year, Nintendo's going to want to emphasize the other side of the Switch coin, which is the console side. They're going to want to show the games you need to play on the biggest screens and the best resolution, the games that maybe will be in 4K because, you know, right now... Um, Nintendo's not doing much, so maybe that we're seeing, so maybe all their efforts going into games that will be on the Switch Pro, which more and more signs are pointing to being 4K. And then the marketing kind of makes sense, because right now they're focusing on smaller experiences, handheld-friendly experiences, which provides breathing room later to really pump up the console experiences and provides a contrast. So they can sell to the 80 million Switch owners all these, like, kind of tinier quote-unquote experiences i wouldn't say skyward was actually tiny but you know like lighter fare and then do the big heavy oh check out breath of wild 2 look how good it looks check out splatoon 2 now for or splatoon 3 in 4k check out metro prime 4 check out bayonetta 3 etc 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 um that could be why we're seeing this kind of split in what we know nintendo's developing and what they're actually showing us as coming out in the next six months five months whatever so those My are... problem with that thinking is that considering you you had just said that Splatoon looks like, oh, this could be the 4K version for the Switch Pro, why wouldn't they just do that with Breath of the Wild 2? 
I would guess so they don't cannibalize Skyward Sword on some level. I think if they said, um, hey, check out Breath of the Wild but 2. Oh, hey, check Breath out Skyward Sword. Breath of the Wild Sword. 2 is definitely, Breath of the Wild 2 is definitely not coming out this year. Probably not. Yeah. So then they, yeah. So I guess it's a good question. Yeah. Maybe development isn't going as smoothly as Anuma said when he's like, oh, everything's going smoothly. Perhaps it's not. Or perhaps they're going to mirror what they I did think- with Breath of the Wild 1 where, they showed it on Switch for the first time in January of 2017. It was out eight weeks later on March 3rd. So they might be doing a short lead time on it. I don't know. Because mm, I know. I don't know. I just think it's really weird the fact that this Switch was announced as a we're focusing on 2020. Yeah. Then they showed Project Triangle Strategy mm-hmm. for 2022. And then they showed Splatoon 3, which is also going to be a 2022 title. Breath of the Wild 2, most likely going to be a 2022 title yeah just show like a logo at that point ah uh, but like, then we run into have... the the issue of the metro prime logo and the bayonetta logo and everyone going why don't you have a yeah but the logo? come on you don't, you don't think it's Nintendo, enough to know that it's in Nintendo development doesn't care about metroid <laughs> that's true well we'll see if they care there might be stuff like anniversary but um but to to yeah i don't know i think on some level going from showing us the initial sizzle to showing us a logo is no better than Anuma just saying, hey, sit tight. They could have... No, that definitely mm-hmm. would have uh, calmed the masses down considerably. I think if they would have t- like given an official title, even if it was just Breath of the Wild 2, that would be like, oh, okay, the, the game is real. You know? Yeah. You know, honestly, it, you know gives, what part of it is? It gives people a good feeling. You know what part of it is, I think? I think directs might have overstayed their welcome a bit. Um, I'm not saying that because I don't love 50 minutes of nonstop Nintendo news. I obviously do. And I can't remember a time we got that much news and it was great. And like, obviously, you know, for the podcast, it's awesome because we get so much to talk about. But truth be told, the drip feed avoids all these issues. I mean, you know, I was saying for podcasts, it's great to have all this content and we're going to have a really long episode from it. We're already at like an hour 45 and haven't even touched Pokemon. But think about how much better paced the Nintendo conversations were and the news cycle was and our podcasts were when they did a drip feed in all of 2020. I mean, frankly, I, I liked the more frequent news. Like one thing about 2020 that was kind of nice was there are periods where like every two or three weeks there's something interesting, a Paper Mario here, a Mario Kart Live there, a partner showcase with maybe five to eight games of note. And it, it took them a few months to find their footing for that, right? But when they did, it, they hit we hit a nice cadence in the second half of the year and it was kind of easier to follow and the big thing i'm getting at here is there were no expectations to meet or not meet like if nintendo announced skyward sword on a tweet or in a two-minute video and not on the weekend of zelda's anniversary which even reggie in that twitter space this thing which akili called out as being weird like why would like you have to be, he was pointing out you have to be mindful of your audience's expectations and to announce, you know, to do Zelda stuff going into the weekend and you need to be aware that people have an expectation. If you shed the direct skin, so to speak, and you do smaller things, kind of piecemeal, that expectation kind of fades away. That's just a perpetual kind of lingering question of how's Breath of the Wild 2 doing? It's not this massive letdown of where is Breath of the Wild 2? You know what I mean? Like it, it sort of separates their schedule from the fan expectations of what their schedule should be or what they should show or that sort of thing. I don't agree with that only because sometimes the drip feeds have been massively disappointing for fans. Uh, the way forward announcement. Oh, yeah. That literally. I would argue they learned what? over time. Like if you look at 
the early wasn't that one of the most recent ones you're talking about uh treehouse live with the surprise way forward announcements that was bakugan yeah yeah no that was that was like summer that was like (laughs) yes that was like june or july i think maybe august but if you look at what they did then or you know a better example look at the partner showcases remember how bland they were the first two or three and then by the end we're like okay these are actually holding their own they had to kind of learn on their feet because they're changing their strategy and i think the bakugan example with way forward is a perfect example of how to do it correctly because by like we i think a few episodes ago we were talking about like don't put the Nintendo Direct name on the partner showcase. Just call it a partner showcase. And then if you do that, you can use that for everything. Like, did the Direct need be 50 minutes? Does anyone remember that Tales of the Borderland is kind of switched? We're getting a Ninja Guy in collection. I'm sure a few people do, but it got completely swallowed up by other games. But if you put them in a you know partner showcase once a month, like every 30 days they do one of these things, you can give them a little room and give them a little attention. It's sort of like the issue Nintendo has or all the companies have where, you know, everyone used to be at E3 and have a press conference and then people start peeling off because they realize they could do their own digital events separately and give themselves a little extra breathing room. It's almost happening within the Nintendo ecosystem now because it's so popular now. I mean, the fact that like... I will give you... Yeah. I will give you that we don't need... We don't necessarily need 50 minute directs. Right. But this was the first direct in over a year. And so of course it's going to be bigger on on and I would I would say to that that life. I think that almost set a false expectation in of itself. Nintendo never promised, "Hey, just cuz it's the first one in over a year, which I agree, that has a certain level of hype to it. That means we're going to go a whole do a whole blowout." They picked up right where they left off, which is we're going to focus on the first half of the year and maybe have a couple surprises, which is exactly what they always used to do. I think the problem is Nintendo is a little unaware or ignoring the expectations that come with what they did that comes with five. Okay. Well, that's days. more of a Nintendo problem and not a direct problem. Well, but my point is they can side, they can avoid that if they, cause you can't, as Reggie was saying in that spaces chat, they you can, can avoid that if they had stuck to their word and had just shown us games for this year and not thrown in triangle strategy. Well, and then so two, three, two things, and then one. have people on the other side of the direct be like, they already showed Splatoon three, a 2022 game. Why didn't they show us something for Breath of the Wild? I'm telling you, just just a, a small little smidge of information, even if it was the logo, yeah. and then Anuma saying, and we are still going to show you something later uh, I mean, this year, literally said would have that. quelled expectations. He literally said what? that. He said that there's more coming. Yeah. No, I know, I know. But if he had added mm. a, here's the logo treatment, or here is the official title, that would have quelled some expectations for sure. I think even some concept art gets people pretty hurt. Concept art, my I think concept art could work. They did that with um, they've done that in the past. um, They did that with Skyward Sword or Twilight Princess. They showed like an older looking link. They did Skyward, yeah, both of them. Um, No, I think Skyward Sword is the one where they just showed art at E3 one time and said, "Hey, stay tuned." So yeah, maybe art would have worked. You might be right, but I guess what I'm saying is you're never gonna fully appease every fan. Like Reggie's making his point that you know you announce six games and someone's gonna be like, "Where are the other four? I wanted ten. and it's Nintendo's job to sort of manage those expectations, right? And if they're not at the point where they're ready to show Zelda, that is a franchise that historically is delayed. Like, so if they're like, oh, we're not touching this till we have it locked in. Like Splatoon, maybe they feel more confident about, but they're like, we don't know where this is going. We're locking in. Project Triangle Strategy at Square Enix, that's their problem. But we know we're locking this in. Now we'll show it. Um, it's up to them to sort of gauge the presentation to better... For fans to better anticipate what they will or won't see, and I suspect doing a 50-minute long blowout after a year is not the way to do it, because yes, you would expect them to then do that. 
So what I'm saying is I think it's in their best interest to not do these giant presentations and do smaller bite-sized things more frequently with announcements scattered in between. Because like honestly, Tony Hawk coming to Switch, Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater 1 plus 2 on Switch had more attention given to it than like a third of the games in the Direct in a way. Because it was on like all the social media channels, it got its own news story, it was able to like step out from the shadow of the other stuff. I feel like they, you know, they get two advantages if they break up the Direct and if they kind of rejigger it and you know, they can just keep expectations down and give every game more of a chance to shine. And I think Breath of the Wild 2 was sort of the prime example of how they miscalculate expectations and why maybe a big direct is not the way to do it anymore because there is always that expectation attached to that name. And if they're not ready to show something, they they don't have to show something, but then fans are going to be upset. So it's their job to mitigate that expectation by changing how they present things, I would argue. Does that make sense? Because you're right, they did say we're going to focus on 2021, but focus doesn't mean exclusive. So then, of course, you know, someone gets one game and not another game, and they're upset about one game but not the other game, and it becomes a whole mess. So they can just sidestep it. Because, like, honestly, yeah. I thought... I think that, I think this is still a core Nintendo problem, not necessarily a direct problem. That's fair. I, I was going to say, I thought, like, if you remove... um you know, the, like, anticipation around it, it's the first direct in 530... I mean, this direct was live-watched by, oh, like... 1.4 million people were on the YouTube video at one point while it was airing. That's so much anticipation. I mean, you had Chex Mix making jokes about it on their Twitter. Like, Denny's has done that before. Like, directs are such this big cultural thing in gaming now that it really does seem like they can't win. Whether or not, you know, they, they miscalculate what to show, there is no way to correctly calculate what to show, to Reggie's point. So I believe is... that they can win. They just choose not to. <laughs> that's fair i will say though if you if you separate the expectations like if you separate it's been five or thirty days i thought this was a solid b of a direct there's a lot of content there's something for everyone like no game stood head and shoulders above the others but like i saw a video of a twitch streamer who loves the mana series and she was like so excited about legend of mana and then there's other people who are like you know we were super psyched about splatoon and some people hate skyward sword let's say but you know there's some that were excited about other stuff and it, it was just a really good diverse selection of games with a surprisingly decent amount of third-party support, finally, even from EA, it was just, you know, you, it, after so long, there's so much pent-up demand that it was hard to see that. <laughs> so if you, just, if you look at it as just an isolated, like, here's what's coming out in the next five months, I was really content with that. I thought they did a good job. Was there any blockbuster stuff? No, but there's a lot of, like, good stuff. So I, I thought it was, like, a B-tier direct, personally. I don't know about you guys, though. Do you, If you had to rate it, it sounds like, Kevin, you'd probably knock it down a notch from where I, what I said. Um, I would probably rate it C, B, somewhere in that, in that range. Okay, what about you, Angel? Any rating? I, I guess a seven. I like how we're all doing large and you're like, I'm going to do a number. So what would that, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like, like that's I, fine. I mean, I, I guess between three, like, I, I think like over the last few years, I've known to, mitigate my expectations for directs like yeah. i for a long time i've known like oh not every game is going to be for me and i feel like that's become more and more true as the years go on whether it's my taste evolving or blah 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 mm-hmm. like yeah like i was literally only excited for one game and just looking forward to you know fall guys and splatoon 3 um right. yeah so i don't know it it is what it is it's kind of like Smashing out somehow. If it's not a character I like, it's it's 
cool. If it's it is, that's great. But mm-hmm. yeah, just average. I I do think I'm, the uh, for the podcast they need to shorten these up and do them more frequently. <laughs> like there is a Nintendo World Report um, that a Nintendo Report editorial that came out that made a really good point that like these doing a direct is like when Netflix drops all their episodes for a show at once, and doing like what they did in twenty twenty is like Disney Plus doing weekly episodes where like you're gonna get more activity and talk and things out of the piecemeal than the big chunk. Which is kind of what I was saying before, but I think like I think I'm I think I'm over directs mm. as a concept. I think I prefer the drip feed. It's just you know like even something like in the direct like they uh, aspire they announced Stubbs the Zombies getting remade for Switch. Okay, fine. They have a much more interesting remake coming to Switch or a port coming to Switch like that they announced five days later. Star Wars Republic Commando, but because the direct can only have one Star Wars game, they gave it to Zynga's Star Wars Hunters. And, like, I feel like Aspire could have used the attention for Republic Command. Like, it just seems like there's, you know, like, it's very weird how they have to pick and choose. So just, like, spread it all out. Let it all happen. Just do, like, bi-weekly, tri-weekly. I don't know. Just make it, you know, spread it out. But I I think it, you know, it was it was a lot of news. We're at two hours and we haven't even talked Pokemon. So we should probably jump to Pokemon. Um, yeah. It's like a workout. It is. It really is. Because, yeah, like, the, it's funny because the Pokemon Presents really feels like the size of what I think a Nintendo I thought this was going to have be. nothing, honestly. Yesterday right? it was just yeah. a general Presents and not, like, a Nintendo-focused one. But yeah. And then it had, like, two very big announcements. But what was nice is it had just the two. Annou- well, three if you count that new Pokemon Snap now confirmed has online photo sharing, which we all suspected. Um, but, yeah, like, I that sort of, like, 15, ignoring the eight-minute-long sizzle reel of, hey, remember Pokemon, which they do that every anniversary now um you know it was like 10 to 15 minutes of just content of new things it wasn't over bloated it wasn't you know it was just here's some questionable choices we're making uh so there's pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl and there's pokemon legends arceus i'm just gonna stay up top before we get into each of them i feel like pokemon is taking a few too many cues from zelda at this point like pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl looks like they're like oh link's awakening let's just do that and then Arceus, Pokemon Legends Arceus looks like they're like, oh, Breath of the Wild, let's just do that. So they're kind of following the dichotomy of Zelda, and I don't know if it's working as well. I mean, what what do you guys think? Which game did you have stronger feelings about of the two? Stronger feelings. So Good or bad. Putting it. Um, I guess obviously Diamond then. I mean, for better or worse. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before on the podcast, and I'm pretty sure... Oh no, and I definitely wrote a editorial or it was part of our flashback series yeah. about diamond that that is definitely like my favorite pokemon generation just because that's the one that got me to really start taking pokemon seriously haha uh-huh. um that just sounds funny um yeah, i was about to say wait what because <laughs> my brother and i played blue version we shared a cartridge and we played it and we enjoyed it but i guess we did enjoy it enough to bother playing gold or silver ruby and sapphire crystal or whatever or emerald and it wasn't until just because I guess the DS was, you know, new and exciting. And I guess this game also just seemed like, you know what? We don't really have an RPG that we're into on the DS. Let's give this one a shot. And, you know, just learning about the differences that Diamond and Pearl added. Like Diamond and Pearl was when we actually had the type separation, which is huge in Pokemon. Because in the past, like poison attacks were, I think they were all physical. No, they were all special. And I think um, all normal attacks were all physical. So something like Hyper Beam was a physical attack. Which, you know, doesn't make sense because it's a beam. And you also had, you know, the shift 
because you always had a special defense and a normal defense. So it was just kind of weird that, you know, a move like Hyper Beam would pretty much get walled by a Chansey. I mean, would pretty much wreck a Chansey, even though it kind of shouldn't. And, you know, now you have that type separation, everything. It just balances out the game. It balances out the game a lot more. And, you know, it just makes it way more competitive. And, yeah, like, I sunk so many hours into that game that it's it's ridiculous. And so, you know, it's one of the remakes I was, like, really, really looking forward to. And to see it be just a... um, I don't know. I, I guess I don't want to say carbon copy it, but... It looks like it's just going to be the exact yeah. same game, just with CG visuals, which yeah. it, it, it kind of had in the 3DS. It, they were kind of like pseudo 3D, like you had pixel characters, you had little CG models. I mean, it was on the DS, so mm-hmm. they only looked so good. It's like Diamond but, and Pearl through the filter of My Sims, if you remember that game. Yeah, or you know, it's your <laughs> a link. It's a, yes, like, a Link's Awakening remake. It's pretty much that. Yeah. So. I don't know if I really want to play the exact same game again. Like if I if I wanted to play again, I'd want it like through like the Sword and Shield lens, so that it feels like a new experience with like some old stuff, like with some stuff I remember, and it's just looking like it's the same experience with everything the same. The only thing that's obviously changed up is that the battles are more akin to like X and Y. Mm-hmm. They don't look so. I don't know. It's it's, it... it's weird. It's weird to me that they didn't even use the Let's Go engine for this. Like, it's like some other engine that I understand yeah, it's by an outside developer weird. for the first time. Like, I get that. So it's definitely lower on the tone pole of Game Freak's priorities. But, like, it look, it's very strange because if they're trying to go for Link's Awakening look, Link's Awakening worked so well because it had a very distinct style that was very... Say Luke's Awakening? Link's Awakening. Yeah. No, her Luke. Oh, yeah, you know, in, in Star Wars Episode Eight, like, they had a very distinct style. No, uh, they had, like, Link's Awakening was, like, this tilt-shifted, like, it was very, like, little, it's a toy diorama that kind of masked the fact that the game was exactly the same for the most part. I feel like all they did was swap out, as you point out, the sprites for little, basically, CG recreations of the exact same sprites. Like, they didn't go in a direction. They just, like, well, what if we round the edges? And... Yeah. I don't know. It just feels, I don't want to say lazy because I know that those developers are putting a lot of work into this, but it does feel like the directive given was a lazy one, if that makes sense. And is it compatible with the other games? I'm sure it is, maybe. Well, I don't know. I don't That's know. weird, right? Like, I don't know. Joe America Yeah, Joe America raised your exact question. Like, if, you know, Brilliant Diamond Shine Pro is this kind of weird offshoot thing that are not part of the same games anymore. Like, can they connect to Sword and Shield? Probably not, because, you know, those Pokemon don't exist in Sword and Shield for the most part, or somewhat. Yeah, like, and, you know, off, if like, they. If just still stuck in Diamond and Pearl, who would be the only yeah, reason I And, like, get what does that mean? I would wonder for Pokemon Home. Like, people are paying a subscription service to be able to swap Pokemon around. Is Diamond and Pearl just a siloed off thing? What the, which is apparently the word of this episode is siloed. I think collectively we say it like seven times. Um, but and what does that mean for the competitive scene? Like are these? I games think we've even... said coming. Uh, yeah, we pretty, might. You're right. Pretty often today. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, it, it what's that mean like for Pro? Got the short end of the stick as far as like yeah. the remakes go because every remake before this always built on like the engine of the last one. Like even like I think Omega, no, not Omega, um, Heart Gold and Soul Silver built off of Diamond and Pearl. Mm-hmm. Or was it black and white? I don't remember which one. But it, regardless, you know, like it built off of those. Um, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire built off of, I think it was X and Y. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of went on a little hiatus. I mean, I guess black and white. No, I think it was black and white, wasn't it? 
I'm, I'm going to be so sad if Black and White, when it gets an inevitable remake, it's like building off of whatever engine this the is. Pokemon Company's game is going, and it's not going to be a, like a Diamond and Pearl thing. Or maybe they're starting their own other branch where you're like, oh, here in this Diamond and Pearl universe of games, we will have the Mega Evolutions and that stuff live on, but we will have... But see, I, I guess like... the other core series just have the Gigantamax and live on with so... those so that we don't have a mix. And I guess Black and White could either go with, you know, build on the Diamond and Pearl one or build on the Sword and Shield one. So how does that work? Like, in the competitive scene, how is that going to work? In the fact that there's one game that's, like, focused on... Like, or, you know, if they continue raid updates... It would just be in, like, they another... If continue DLC game, for Sword and Shield, like, what is this other g- game? It's really weird. Yeah. Existence it's like a spin-off <laughs> except it's the ma- it's weird because the spin-off it's 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 it would have been a mainline entry because that's how the remix like you were saying were but now it's a spin-off and now what would normally be a spin-off is now a mainline entry almost like they're calling pokemon legend arceus a spin-off but come on it's developed internally by game freak it's using the sword and shield engine and then some, like it's so obviously where they want pokemon to go next and diamond pearl's like this weird I, it's like they switch places it's so bizarre yeah and I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think, I think people that like a lot of people on Diamond and Pearl, and you know, they, I think there's gotta be some happy folks because the, the uh, uh, it's considered by a lot to be like either their first Pokemon or their favorite Pokemon. So this thing's gonna sell decently. But if we were looking at it being the next Auras or the next, you know, uh, any of those remakes, yeah, no, Heart Gold Soul Silver, this is not gonna. I don't think those hit those same highs, especially because it's gonna be kneecapped by Pokemon Legends, like. That's coming out early 2022 as of now. So it's going to be kneecapped by that really fast. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, which I guess brings us to Pokemon Legends. Um, the Breath of the Wild of Pokemon. Like if the wild area in Breath of, uh, was a little Breath of the Wild inside like a Pokemon game, Pokemon Legends feels like it's a Pokemon game inside Breath of the Wild, if that makes sense. Like it's, so it's, far. I mean, it looks like yeah. they just shut off a mechanic, but if that's how the game is really going to be, it looks not that exciting, but. Yep. <laughs> now you know my issue with Breath of the Wild. I think Breath of the Wild's open world is very boring and sterile, and this uh, right seeing there. Pokemon in Breath of the Wild is like, yep, that looks just as boring as Breath of the Wild. And what's crazy to me is like, this is the dream Pokemon game for so many people. A truly open world Pokemon game. Like, Sword and Shield kind of dabbled in this with the Wild Area, but the idea of like, you just go out and there are Pokemon and you interact with them. I mean, the fact that there's, you know, like a dodge moves that they show in the trailer like you are interacting with them you're not just throwing pokeballs like the whole premise is very breath of the wild that you're sneaking up on pokemon observing their behavior figuring out how to catch them and then going for it and you either throw your pokeball or there's turn-based battles you can do i don't know what determines which they haven't said but um you know like the the idea of like oh you're out in the wild with pokemon sounds on point but it is pretty much shot for shot with David Breath of the Wild. So if you didn't like that environment, how are you going to like this one? Like it has the same sort of emptiness to your point and sterility. So it's, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it, it feels like it felt looking at Sword and Shield now, the wild area always kind of felt like um, a stepping stone. And it seems like, you know, into a more open world Pokemon. Um, and it feels like this is now like a full proof of concept hiding behind like the shield of being a spinoff. So if it doesn't work, they could go, oh, that was just Pokemon Legends. We're, you know, Diamond and Pearl, we're back to that. We're chibiing everything again. Let's go. But, um. I hate the name so much. What, Brilliant Diamond Pokemon and Shining Legends, Pearl? Arcus. Oh, that, yeah. I thought you meant the Diamond and Pearl remakes, which mm-hmm. are a mouthful. Um. Are the perfect Diamond, Shining Diamond? Or... It's, it's Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. 
Oh, brilliant, Diamond. Brilliant. Pet- brilliant. Pet yourselves on the Th- back. Those, those are good names. <laughs> I, I like those names, yeah. okay? Diamond I always, they, always, they always find a creative way of, of that adjective right in front of the uh, the version. I, I always love them. I think the Omega weakest... Ruby, Alpha Sapphire. Yeah, that gold, one was the weakest to me, was what? Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Because, like, Omega and Alpha have nothing to do with stones, do they? Aren't they, like, Greek? But they're associated with the legendaries. Right, so that makes sense. But they didn't, like, pair, like Brilliant Diamond. Like, they, they used to do really... I guess Heart's Gold and Soul Silver were the same problem. I mean, Heart of Gold. Yeah, and um. Soul... Yeah, but... Yeah. Either way, um, it's got to open up so many opportunities. If the games... if Soul and <laughs> Silver... If, if you had to, if you had to predict right now what you think the black and white ones will be, what would you think they would do? Well, it's tricky. Uh, pitch black and pure white make the most sense, but it's tricky because I don't know if you want to call a game pure white. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> but those are the two that are like clearest in my mind. But uh, but who knows hmm. if to even do that? If I mean honestly, you know, the more I think about it, actually, it makes sense they're doing this like this now. I was, you know, I made the comment like they switched the core game and the spinoff, but think about it. If Legends works out, if it, they are leaning so hard on Breath of the Wild, and let's say it works for them. Let's say Legends is really popular. Let's say it looks more lively in the final form. Um, that's the direction Pokemon's going to go, and that is the Sword and Shield sequel. Then, for the remakes, you can't remake a game in a totally different environment like that. So what you do, you have the spinoff remake series, and you see Black and White like Diamond and Pearl, like you were saying. So yeah, this this is the inflection point for the franchise, if everything works as they hope. The question is if, and I think it's a big if. I mean, the game was chugging in Huge that trailer. Game. Yeah, like Legends was like five frames maybe. Like it's very rough, and they do have a year to clean it I up. I could have sworn but... that that was that was uh, that wasn't actual gameplay footage. No, it was. They showed some actual gameplay. I think. No, I, I... did it say mm. not gameplay. I could have sworn I read more... somewhere that that it wasn't gameplay footage, that... which it does actually kind of make it worse, considering yeah. that they couldn't even make. <laughs> fake gameplay look really good it makes it way worse yeah but um yeah it's just it'll be really interesting to see where it goes because i i do think one of the things that's kind of cool about legends is the world building they're starting to do like you know the fact that it's gonna i guess tell the backstory of arceus or something but more to the point like the way they like are reimagining like pokeballs is like these like steam wood power like wooden steam powered little things that like shoot steam out the top when you catch a pokemon like it's dumb little things like that but it's kind of cool like we get to see a different side of the pokemon universe that is we've seen that before though we've seen steam pokeballs yeah where in um in the celebi movie pokemon, pokemon forever Conquest, baby pokemon forever they I, show I was like i covered it they show these like pokeball prototypes they even show like some of the older pokeballs when like i think in the second season when you meet the apricorn dude apricorn well, fine. Okay. Pokemon. In that case, Pokemon Legends is complete waste and they shouldn't do it. You're right. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's just but like, I mean, it's, but they're taking these other interesting ideas. I mean, medieval Pokemon is interesting. Yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, and <laughs> like, and I do, I do think it's interesting that they're willing to drop the idea of trainers and trainer battles. They made it very clear there are no trainers and no gyms. Hmm. So I wonder what that turns into. So like, there's a lot. So it's like, much... like the first person that it ever occurred to to capture Pokemon. Well, the premise is you're completing the first Pokedex for the region for Sinnoh. That's the mm. entire. And meanwhile, learning about like the powers of Arceus. But uh, so I don't know what's going to turn to. But okay, it, so that's it... how you pronounce it, right? Arceus. Yeah. How do they pronounce it? Um, the Pokedex. I think pronounce... they pronounce it Arceus. Oh, Arceus. Yeah, so oh, the, well... the Pokedex pronounces it Arceus. 
Okay, so, so yeah, I'm wrong on two fronts a, now. Steam Pokeballs not, and Arceus. Look like a fool. I'd, I would fix that if I were you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's... I lost my train of thought. But, oh, yeah, the only thing I'm going to say is I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt a little. Because when Pokemon Sword and Shield was very first shown, I remember thinking, wow, this looks so much like other Pokemon games. Because like, they showed the generic stuff. Like, the typical Pokemon stuff. And then it had this whole other side that was really interesting. So if if Game Freak's going to do the sort of, like, they lead with not their best foot forward, um, maybe there's hope for Legends. I don't know. I re- really, the takeaway for the present for me was Bidoof was in every single game. That's three games in a row with Bidoof, and that is spectacular. So I was okay. Hmm. But, yeah, I don't know if you guys had anything else on uh, Pokemon Presents you wanted to cover. Or... Uh... Or even the Post Malone Pokemon 25th anniversary concert where he said the word sex to a Lugia, which was a real thing that happened. Nope. <laughs> Definitely don't want to talk about that. Yep. Yep. He, it, it, uh, it was an experience. It was a 13 minute experience that you. The animation was very nice. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I saw clips of it. Man. Yeah. yeah. The animation was very nice, but they, it, a drug addiction, Metro Boomin, Post Malone, and the word sex are now all canon in Pokemon. So there you go. Metro Boomin? The the uh, producer, the hip-hop producer. If you ever hear songs on radio that starts like... He has like a tag like Metro Boomin wants some more N-word. That they, they of course, censored out N-word in the uh, Pokemon presentation, but they still had the tag drop over uh, some Rapidashes running because that's the start of hmm. Post Malone songs, which was extremely weird. I mean, like, honestly, as, as much fun as I'm poking at it, like the fact that they had a presentation where they had a Metro Boomin tag combined with Post Malone doing a cover of Hootie and the Blowfish really shows the diversity and reach of Pokemon now. Like, that's three different generations of three different types of musician, and they all like kind of melded into Pokemon. Like, it's it's kind of crazy how big Pokemon's gotten. So happy anniversary, Pokemon. Um, but yeah, I yeah, think, you I got think Post Malone. Yeah, hope you're proud of yourself. Yeah, and Katy Perry and Jay Balvin will be doing original songs this year for Pokemon, among others. So. Yeah, and second Zelda, you get a Skyward Sword HD release. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's up with that. Nintendo took so long for Mario's 35th too, but then they went all in. So I'm kind of hoping, expecting something in the fall. Same with Metroid, maybe. I mean, Mercury's team hasn't done anything since Sans Returns, and they did a good job with Sans Returns. So are they making another 2D Metroid? Like, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Bring over Thargus Returns to the Switch. They should bring... Yeah. They should bring a lot of 3DS games to the Switch from the later era. Like if Metopia, if they have the engines, to, like the the engine to bring over Metopia, like use that for like Kid Icarus Uprising. Give it proper dual stick support. Like come on, seems like a no brainer, especially with Smash being so big. But but we'll save all that speculation for a different time because we're already at like two hours and fifteen minutes of Nintendo talk. Um. But if you thought we covered everything this episode to say about Nintendo, ha, you are so wrong. When we're back on March 14th, we're going to have Pyra and Murthrod's, uh Smash presentation and our thoughts on them joining the roster. We're going to have um, probably maybe impressions of Apex Legends on Switch. It should be out by then. And, you know, who who knows what else? There's going to be more news, I'm sure. Um, and if you need a break from all the Nintendo talk, we also have Quarantine Chronicles. That's coming back this coming yeah. weekend with all the non-Nintendo stuff. So to make sure you don't miss any of that, you can subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, including Spotify, which is new pin podcasts, and Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn. We are RandomNintendo.com on YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter at RandomNintendo. Individually, I am JSR7. Angel is W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And Kevin is KVN Gomi. Um, 
And I think that does it. Everyone can finally take a breath. We're, we got through it all. Kevin, what's your final Oof, word? For the second time. Yeah, for a second time. Wait, what? What's your final word? <laughs> I think that was oh, it. Oh, final word? Damn it. Oh. Uh, final Fantasy VII Remake original soundtrack is now out on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon. Go listen to it.